I mean, I, I was thinking that the, one of the problems for me that I'm, I'm not involved with it from a, a sort of on a day to day sort of trying to make it work perspective, but you know, selling. 4G or 3G or 5G to consumers is it's very easy to sort of scale up isn't it you know you roll it out, out everybody buys a smartphone it's you know you've got millions of customers in the market whereas a lot of this enterprise stuff seems quite you know what what a factory what a car maker might need in terms of automation and how it's all set up and working is not necessarily what a hospital would would have and you know it's then then you've got this problem about you know are operators the best people to do that or you know scott was saying he's a systems integrator that really sort of deals in healthcare and knows how that works the best the best person to do it and i, I guess that's just yet to resolve itself and figure itself out but you, you kind of don't want too many people in in the picture as well to some extent because then it becomes you know everybody's taking a smaller cut aren't they and it becomes harder to make it profitable but i mean, I, I suspect this will resolve itself but it just seems like we're going through that process of trying to sort of work out the how the how the economics are going to play out in the long run to some extent. Look, I think I think you're right it will play out. Hello and welcome at last to another telecoms.com podcast. It has been this has been the first one for 3 weeks. The, we didn't do one for one week because I was on holiday. I, I would have come in, but we couldn't find a way of making it work. And then last week we recorded one from the venue of the Glotel Awards, on which briefly more in a sec. Um, and Pierre was there, but he only had the one camera, the one I'm looking into now, I believe. Um, and it just went mad at the end and didn't save the video. Yeah. So that's why you haven't had it for three weeks. One bloke even got in touch with me on LinkedIn going, what's going on with the pod? Which is always <laughs> nice to know that people... Yeah. People are watching. Yeah, people, yeah. And people are waiting for it. I mean, what the thought of being someone that's producing things that people are waiting it's for. It's like your magazine not turning up in the post, isn't it? You, yeah. You, you spectator subscription. Yeah, your Beano. Your Beano. You should have said, oh, the Ben is having problems. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah we, we've had uh, creative differences. Yeah. Pierre wants to go in a new direction. I'm not happy with it. <laughs> I want to do a tour again. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, sorry about that, everyone. Um, and... Next week might not happen. So we're recording this on Friday the 9th, I believe. And next week, the 16th might not happen because the UK, we're waiting, going back to the 70s and everyone's on strike all the time. We're going to have rubbish and corpses in the streets. Um, and But for the time being, it's limited to the trains going on strike pretty much all of next week. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll I try think, and come uh, in. Is this the way of the UK going a bit French ahead of the game? I think it's uh, worse. I think it's worse. I think I think we're more strikey than you right now, aren't we? I don't know. No. <laughs> I don't pay attention. Um, so anyway, so that's all that. And before I go any further, I should say... <coughs> so that I've got my excuses in for this maybe being the only one we've done in the whole of December. And sorry about that if that's the case, but shit happens. And you're not paying for it anyway, so stop moaning. <laughs> um, we... Luckily for this one podcast we have managed to do, we've got a special guest. I'm delighted to uh, introduce Phil Siviter, who's the CEO for UK and Ireland for Nokia. First time we've had a Nokia person, I think, is that right? Mm-hmm. So, a privilege. Yeah, well, it's great to have you here. Thanks a lot for coming in. And Phil's done, he's done well. He's um, brought in some beers. This is his personal favourite. It's uh, Peroni Gran Reserva, uh, Puro Malto. Which uh, he only brought two, so I've, I've let Ian have the other one of them. Partly because Ian, bless him, he's sort of staggered in. He's, he's feeling a bit under the weather. Um, and, uh, that's always, what you need, apparently, when you're under the weather. That's what you need, as you well need as the paracetamols that I gave you. <laughs> Pure mild. Um, and, uh, and so thanks a lot for that, Ian. And, and obviously, Phil and I could have had a chat, but it wouldn't have been the same without you. 
Um, so, so that's great. So we better make this count, hadn't we? Yeah. So carry up and get pissed. Okay. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just a bit more, just talking shit before we get into the the meat of the podcast. As I just alluded to um, earlier, we had we recorded the last one on location because we have our annual um, awards thing, which we call the Glotel, short for Global Telecoms Awards, um, and. And we have to be there during the day at the hotel getting ready, and I have to meet the comedian who's, who we had, Jeff Norcott, again, um, who was great. Um, and so we thought we'd record it on site, but that only uses one camera, so there's no redundancy there, and, and the technology let us down. But the awards went really well. It's the first one we've done um, in person since 2019 because oh. of all the plague of course, and yeah. stuff. Um, and it all went well. I think I walked the fine line. I, I sort of had a few drinks before I was up on stage. And I don't know, you've been at a few, Ian. I felt yeah. I was a bit looser. Yeah, than maybe. I've been in the past. Well, you you were more involved because you're actually doing the, the the present. You were yeah. doing the reading out of who who won. Right. More, yeah. Well, I was reading well, out, the reading out the shortlist. I thought then. I'd spare um, the comedian Jeff Norcott because some of the shortlists, as you can imagine, could get pretty arcane and long. So I thought I'd read them out. So yeah, I was involved yeah, a bit more. And, more involved. And, um, and he seemed quite happy with that. I know some of the stand-ups just want to have it all themselves, don't they? No, he's, 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 he's happy out of the limelight a bit. Avoiding yeah, the I think words, we've had people it? in the past who are like, oh no, you don't want to get involved. It, it won't work out well for you, sort okay. of thing. And, you know, it's quite big egos, aren't they? So, uh, that was um, Russell Kane said Russell that. Kane said um, that yeah. It was a few years ago. Yeah. And Russell Kane yeah. was brilliant, by the way. Um, but in, in the, in the like, rehearsal, I was saying to him, I always say this to the comedians, I'm under no illusions that I'm a professional comedian, but I think I can think on my feet and just join in the general banter if it happens. Um, and I said that to Russell Kane, and he went, yeah, I, I, did, a, I did another event um, the other day where the bloke said that. And I went, oh, how did that go? And he went, not well for him. <laughs> and I thought, all right, I'm just going to leave that then. And I think that, Back was, away. Back I think away. that was his way of saying, if you want to get involved in banter, then you know, you're at your depth, son. <laughs> Sort of thing. So I was like, okay, fuck it. I don't want to be humiliated. Yeah, he was good actually, Russell Kane. He was, yeah. I thought yeah, he was he, the second best out of all the ones we've had. He got. Yeah. He, he's, that he's, the question: Who was the best though? I liked Patrick Keelty a lot. Yeah, he was. Um, I thought he was. Hilarious. He had the most uh, belly laughs. Okay. I think. Yeah, I, I was. I was laughing all the time. I think. When and he was, was quite like, edgy at yeah, times. He was. When you consider a lot of Patrick Keelty stuff has been like daytime telly. Yeah. You for, you don't realise that he's actually a proper edgy stand-up. Yeah. Comic. And he and he read the award names out and sort of took the piss a bit. You know. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, in yeah. a in a way that didn't improvise a bit. Upset I remember. People, but it was I remember one funny. joke. We were doing a five G award, and he went, which is quite a coincidence because that's what I'm getting paid for tonight <laughs> yeah. I thought it was good I don't know if it was pre-written or he just winged it but it was quite oh a good God. joke I was talking to this Dutch guy on the on the way back at the airport and he showed me this uh, like 45 minute thing he did with Arnold Schwarzenegger and he works for like a private equity and he said guess how much it was for 45 minutes and I said, I don't know, 50K? He said, 500,000. Oh what? The Arnie got paid for doing it? For 45 minutes worth of... Oh, God, my damn. God. Wow. Fa- half a million dollars. Wow. Well, there's <laughs> brand. as much as I'm getting for today. There we go, yeah. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you're a tough, tough negotiator. <coughs> um, yeah, that's brand for you, isn't it? Right there. Um, so, actually, talking about talking about awards, um, you've just come back from New York, haven't you, Pierre? Mm. And you were at... Um, tell us what you're doing. I was at the 5G transport event and then the Open RAN. Wasn't there? Oh, was that before then? This Leading Light? You weren't there for the Leading Light Awards? Leading, leading Lights was online. Oh, but there were but drinks. They had, they had a dinner. Okay. I've got my, for leading oh, right. I've got my, got my wires crossed. Just drinks. Just drinks. But anyway, we should mention that Light Reading, who is obviously who Ian writes for, have also had their awards recently, which is called Leading Lights, and apparently all went very well, yeah? 
Oh, I didn't go, so... All right, well, we're going to yeah. say it did. I think he went live a week ago, exactly, actually. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to say, well done on a smashing event that none of us know <laughs> dick about. <laughs> um, so, yes, what else? Is there any other stuff to chat about? So, I mean, God, there's, it's been so much time. You know, we've had one or two um, things that we've done. Have we been out with anyone? You, you went out with three, did you? I w- yeah, that seems like a long time yeah, ago now. So you had I a few went beers out with three UK for their, like get journalists out for a Christmas drink yeah actually the CEO turned up cool uh, whose name I can't remember now Mike right. Hayes Robert Finnegan Robert Finnegan oh, turned okay. up and did a sort of going around just saying hello yeah, to everybody you'd think Phil that. would know the, the CEO <laughs> yes, of a yeah. UK operator wouldn't you yeah um, yeah it was good it was just I had the football on it was England playing right. someone yeah. Senegal Wales no it was, Senegal no, I think it was Wales, a Wales, it was game. Wales I think it was a Wales the, game the day of the Wales game oh so it was before uh, the awards yeah. yeah, we've seen each other since. Yeah, we're just yeah. we're just meandering here. There's yeah, no yeah. there's no chron- chronological <laughs> reason. To anyway, this. the Queen died. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and then I went this week. I went and had um, beers with BT slash Openreach. Even though they're legally separated, they seem to always be bumping into each other. Um, and uh, and that was good fun. And there was even a bit of afters. I ended up getting back quite late. So thanks a lot, uh, so Alex, uh, Edwin, uh, John, uh, a few of the chaps I met there they, they were all good fun and they, and they had their, their own little basement bit of a pub yeah we started getting into the single malts towards the end oh, I wish I could have come to that yeah yeah um, so uh, so that was all good but we've got no um, no explicit bribe of the week I've got to admit you know for the past few years now the Christmases when it comes to bribes aren't what they used to be no we used to get stuck in. Like the good through. old days, though, is that what you yeah. Good old days, yeah. A lot of yeah. days when Huawei was still sort of lavishing Sending, expensive like, wines on you. Yeah, and, and yeah. fucking, you get like, <laughs> what do you call them? Those, those basket hampers. Well, like they sent a hamper one year. Huawei sent yeah. a hamper of like yeah, well, yeah, expensive wines and did a wine tasting online where... Scott and I were involved. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. That R- was a, Raggy that was Omar a, was on it, which I thought was weird. That was a weird, what, what that was a fun telephone? event. It was weird. That was yeah. Huawei, was it? That was Huawei, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm thinking of another one. There's another one. I, I, do you know, I can't even remember. I think it was Danielle Royston. Right. She actually did a oh, thing did where a we did cooking. A, a meal. Cooking. We all had to cook in our kitchen this is, this is and have a laptop days. open. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is during pandemic. So people were trying to look for novel things. And you had to have a laptop open. And they had a professional chef there. And they and they posted us all the ingredients. And we were all sitting there trying to keep up making all this stuff. It, was, it, it turned into a complete mess, but it was quite fun. She's in the UK this week. Yeah, I because thought she was been hanging out with um, Telecom TV. Yeah, she? Tel- great Telco debate. Today, she was yeah. on that. Were, yeah. were you there, Paul? Or, she was on a. Um, <laughs> By the way, okay. we, we've got Paul, Paul from Nokia <laughs> in the background there, who was going to keep himself quiet until Ian started <laughs> asking right. him questions. It's not, it's not confidential, is it? No, but she was. I think she hired like a bus, and I saw they were driving around London right. on some like. Uh, that sounds no, like a Danielle kind of thing to do. Neil did she have her pom poms? Probably. Yeah. She did a really good bit around, uh, and it's a bit of a Mary Poppins theme with a bag with lots of goodies. Yeah. And dragged out an old phone, like a classic old pink She likes phone. a prop. Yeah. And she's very impactful, to be fair. Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, when, when she came on the fun. pod, uh, you know, she anticipated our line, which was to call her a public cloud cheerleader. And so she came on the pod with pom poms. So she sort of kind of lent into the, the thing. I thought, I thought it was a cool move. Um, cool. All right. I think that's enough talking shit, isn't it? Yeah. Um, apart from to say it's yeah. properly nippy now, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um, and we've all been working out. Yeah, we've all been working out how little to heat our house while still having viable living conditions. I go for a sort of burst in the morning, but I have to tell you, by about nine or ten, it's all forgotten. <laughs> the thing is, you, you turn it off and it gets cold again very quickly. Exactly. In our house, so exactly. Um, so there we are. It's properly cold here now. Um, 
so yeah, so I think what we're going to talk about. So obviously, whenever we have a guest, um, we sort of talk about sort of core subject matter. Them, Phil, you haven't necessarily come in with an agenda, so we're going to have a bit of a bit of a guess as to what will be relevant to you. Obviously, Nokia's involved in both the mobile and the fixed line side of things, as well as other stuff. You know, yeah. I know you do like intellectual property and all that, but I think we'll just be quite top line. We quite often in the pod we talk about you know, 5G, 6G, what the point of it is, all that sort of thing might challenge you. You know, presumably you think there's some point to it all. <laughs> I think I can make a pretty compelling case yeah. that there's um, some value in these technologies. Well, indeed. Um, I mean, it would obviously be noteworthy if you couldn't. Um, but uh, we might even write a story about it. Nokia admits it's all a fucking waste of time. Um, <laughs> or it is the most important transformation yeah. we're going to see in the last... Uh, we're, in all, the that, all that, all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two sides of the same coin. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we might talk a little bit about fix. I don't have a specific sort of technology. I don't necessarily want to get into all the, all the XGS ponds and all that sort of thing. But you can, Ian, you probably know more about it than I do. But... I think the economics of yeah, fibre and that sort of thing might yeah. be interesting. So we'll start by doing that. And then in terms of newsy stuff, you know, and I always say this to, to our guests, we understand that, that you know, you, you work within a certain environment um, where talking about certain things might not be ideal for you. And, and we always encourage you to just plead the fifth, as I say, or play a forward defensive stroke or some other metaphor. Because, you know, one we're going to talk about is someone who, a company you presumably interact with a lot is Vodafone. But the big news of the week was their CEO leaving. I think we might talk a bit about that specific event, but it's also interesting just to talk about who should who should step in or what sort of person, yeah. not an individual. I mean, our boss is always in the running when there's a vacancy again. Yes. Our boss, Stephen Carter, he used to he used to head up Ofcom. He he used to be in the government. He used to be what is it Alcatel? Yeah, was it? Yeah. So he's he's always in the running, but he's already on the board of Vodafone, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Which I think we chatted about in the pod before, but you know, I'm he sure, was, I'm sure, Stephen, the, if you listen to this, you'll give us a scoop if you decide to go. He was linked to the BT role, wasn't he? When, yeah, exactly. When, I uh, even I remember I pinged him um, yeah. when he was rumoured to go with it, yeah. and and he sort of went. He got back to you. Yeah, so he sort of went. Uh, I've got I've got a lot more to say, sort of, <laughs> than, than what's already in the public. Well, I remember there'd been a story. I think the Telegraph or someone had got a story that they said <coughs> something like Sorry. people close to Carter say, you know he might give it some thought yeah. or something vague like that and and all he said to me was like you know I haven't got anything more to add than, than what's already in yeah. in that piece so I was like okay fair enough but then he didn't go stop hassling me you're sacked it was, it was there, wasn't well it? I'm, wow. I'm known for it <laughs> um, yeah well you know you don't want to be just because that person's the, the CEO of your company you don't want to not do your job but then again you're always going to be aware of the fact that you don't want to be too cheeky no. in case he's in a funny mood that day he's in a sacking mood <laughs> So, um, so anyway, I seem to have got away with that. We'll see if I get away with this podcast now, won't we? Um, uh, so, yes, yeah, so we might just talk about the kind of person, what kind of direction they might go in, or what kind of direction any operator might go in, especially if, if you feel you'd rather not explicitly dictate what one of your presumably customers or at least close business contacts should be doing with their business. So we'll find a way of skirting around that. And then I think the third thing is... You know, we, we tried a sort of Scott Pacino pet peeve thing last time. It didn't get saved. But there's plenty going on to do with things like freedom of speech. And I'd say more, like, I think I'd call it like digital civil rights. So, you know, freedom of speech on social media is one of them. But then there's another to do with um, financial services providers. Um, and there's a bit of legislation going through in the UK where some MP, I can't remember, I think I've got the story up here, has put in an amendment basically saying that they're not allowed to just kick people off financial service platforms just because they don't like something they've said or or they don't like their politics or they don't like their face or whatever. 
Um, and I think that's really important. I think when you dig into it, when you consider, you know, stuff that you've got grumpy about in the past, Ian, where you go into a pub and <coughs> and they won't let you pay with cash. Mm. If, if, we, if we're going towards a time which is quite easy to see, and I think it's accelerated by the pandemic, where everything's electronic, and so we're reliant on a small handful of Visa, Mastercard, <coughs> PayPal, Stripe, a few other people, um, and they can start going, no, you can't use us because we don't like you, then, then obviously that's a, a massive sort of civil liberty thing. Mm-hmm. So that's my sort of rant on that one. And we'll see, um, we'll see where we go with that. But let's start. Um, so, so you're, you're ahead of Nokia in the UK. Yep. Um, and uh, Nokia in the UK, I mean, I, I'm saying I principally think of Nokia, you know, on, on the two main strands of, sort of mobile technology, the mobile, of telecommunications, the mobile and the fixed. Uh, I don't know if you've got any sort of data on top of your head, you know, which is a bigger deal for you or whether you view them equally or whether it's a third or fourth thing I shouldn't be mentioning. But is, is that right? I'm mainly right in thinking of Nokia as a mobile tech, mobile kit vendor and a fixed kit vendor. I think that's a fair, I think, fair summary. I think what I'd say is that um, in the way we organise ourselves, it talks to our kind of go-to-market and how we work with our customers. And so we're organised really in four main divisions. We Our mobile networks. Yeah clearly the mobile side we have our, our network infrastructure which placed more to the fix so ip optics fixed networks then we have our cloud and network services business where we do more talk about the cloud cloud core talk about security iot uh, and perhaps the wider reach of the software portfolio and then finally we have our technology services with which is as you alluded to earlier where we talk about ipr and, and yeah. leveraging our r&d investment which is has a rich history to be fair and, and those phones that you don't make and yes, those phones that we don't make. Right? Perhaps it's part of there where obviously we license that to HMD yeah. and they manufacture them. And uh, I did think of it, actually. I was advising my son. I know this isn't a direction we particularly want to dwell on, but as you can probably tell already, I'm quite a stream of consciousness on this pod. Um, I did think of that when I was doing some research for phones that he could afford. Uh, that definitely came up, and there seemed to be a particular line of sort of quite durable ones. Yeah, they've they've uh, done they've done yeah. really well, to be fair. Very effective in lots of part of the world, mm. and um, and actually, it's, it's uh, this gets talked about a lot because not surprisingly, if I'm ever in a taxi or even if I go and meet my doctor and I where you from yeah. Nokia, instantly it's I had a thing. I like the ringtone that did it exactly. I mean, that's just but it's in the early days. I found it a little bit maybe frustrating because it's not really to what we do now. Actually, now I think it's fantastic in the sense of that association with our brand and our history and what we've done for yeah. the telecoms industry is is really, really important. And, yeah, what we need to do a better job, I think, of talking about actually outside of the telecoms industry, the kind of impact we have and will have, particularly when we start to talk about 5G and the impact of that on people's lives. Well, let's do that. Um, we talk, you know, obviously we've been talking about 5G ever since it was being spoken about, you know, in the latter half of the last decade. Mm-hmm. As as journalists and maybe just as, as just sort of contrarian individuals... Uh, we, we, our sort of self-appointed task is to is to burst the hype a little bit, maybe the opposite of your self-appointed task, but that's fine. It should it should create an interesting uh, conversational tension. Let's hope so. Um, and so with five G, I mean, our biggest knock has been it, this isn't so much directed as you because you're not directly on the marketing side, although I'm sure you have marketing people reporting into you. But you know, we, we've we've knocked the sort of overhypedness of it. And I think the industry had, did make a mistake. And one of the biggest reasons it made a mistake, unlike 4G, which in hindsight was, from a consumer point of view, quite revolutionary in terms of proper mobile broadband, proper mobile internet, yeah. as opposed to the sort of barely adequate that was 3G and the non-existent that was before that. Um, 5G for a consumer, for your average punter, as you say, the, the person who still thinks of Nokia as a mobile phone brand, not as a 
not as an equipment vendor. Um, they're thinking, what, what have I got to get excited about with 5G? So that's where I think the marketing people made a mistake in overhyping it. But I also understand that that's what marketing people got to do. And it's a once-in-a-decade chance to talk up a new generation of stuff. So do you think, I'll, the first question I'll throw to you, do you think I'm, I'm right to feel that 5G has been overhyped, oversold, that it's a bit of an anticlimax, or, or do you see it differently? I wouldn't be a surprise for you to, to hear me say that I think a little bit differently. Well, we were joking before we started how funny it would be if you just went, yeah, friend. Yeah. <laughs> sort of been a complete waste of time. It would be a short pod, wouldn't it? And probably a short career for me. Um, so, no, 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 look. Um, we can talk about, you know, I think a lot of people talk about and they obsess a little bit about what's the killer app for consumer. And I think that kind of misses the point completely, which is, um, you know, 5G is going to be more impactful for consumers. We may need to take some time to figure out exactly what's the exciting thing that's coming. But we can see some of it already. We can see stadium usage already picking up massively. We've done some quite innovative work in the US in particular where we're, where we're taking the consumer who's in the stadium and he's using his 5G coverage to stream almost 4K quality HD yeah. from the stadium. And, and if, you know, maybe this is not so important for you and I, but for millennials and people who like to post an awful lot on social media, the ability to, to then take, take, take a quick swipe and then push that out to the proverbial internet for others to consume, this is quite impactful. And you can't do that necessarily as well. Or, or not as packfully as you could do with 5G. So there, there is some exciting stuff for consumers, no question. Yeah. But I think it's also fair to say that I think since the very beginning, we've always been clear that the other exciting part of 5G is, of course, private wireless, the impact for industries, uh, yeah. enterprise, if you like. As and I that have. seems to be the main sort of ROI um, you know, from, from my reporting and the incoming sort of press releases and marketing and messaging that I get. In terms of actual ROI, why... How is it worth? Why is it worth one of your customers buying some five G kit off you? What's the ROI on that? It seems to me at this stage mainly a B two B plays. Would you agree with that? There's certainly there's we're seeing a lot of appetite in the enterprises, and I think you touched on the four G transformation that we saw with industries like banking, retail, streaming, where actually that with the cloud revolutionise those industries. We wouldn't think twice now about doing our online shopping, our online banking, etc. Although, by the sounds of it, you've got some reservations around that, which we'll probably get we'll to a bit to later that. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whether there's anything I can do about it is another matter. Different oh, question. So then when we think about industries like agriculture, manufacturing, transportation, healthcare, I think you can make an argument they haven't seen the same level of tra- uh, transformation. And I think our belief very firmly is the 5G, because it is that critical a net network, if you like, yeah, it has the latency, the capacity. You can do mission critical stuff. You can build mission critical services on it. For the first time, these industries have an opportunity with other technologies as well, because it's going to be a very collaborative thing. Yeah. To really transform transform their businesses, and we're starting to see that already. Actually, I think most of the last year and a half has been proof of concepts, people testing, building trust in the technology and labs. That's the one thing we attempted to talk about last week. Well, yeah. we did, but it didn't get recorded. We we're talking about all the labs that are always cropping up. Well, do you think it's taking longer than because? I remember talking to people, you know, back before it was launched and, and, and operators were sort of talking up the business side of it. You know, it's more of an enterprise thing than a consumer thing, unlike 4G. And yet the first few years of it has very much been, you know, a, a sort of hope that the enterprise side of it will take off and um, and people using it on their phones. And, and we, we still seem to be waiting for that. Um, you know, you look at <coughs> operators making money out of you know the things that they they sell and it's it's not really changed a game for them has it you know they're not they're not it hasn't opened up this great sort of enterprise market for them yet and i'm sort of wondering whether it's 
taking longer than anybody thought it would and what, what the main barriers are really, why it's why it's taking a long, long way to get there. Is it technical or is it just figuring out? It's a very different market that they're operating in, isn't it, I suppose, to, you know, and, and it seems quite chaotic as well. There's a lot of other players getting involved. You know, we see the, the, the web scale companies sort of in that space to some extent. And I don't know whether it's, you know, mainly it's a technology issue or it's a kind of business model thing, but... Um, yeah, just curious to get your perspective on it. Um, you raised a few good points in there, so let me yeah. try and pick up a couple of them. First of all, it's not a technology problem. I, yeah. think, I think technology is sound, and as in often is the case, when we talk to enterprises, we tend to actually go on a journey from 4G to 5G, and we talk about private LTE and then and then how to use 5G to enhance and deliver more services. And so that's a technology that's been around for a fair while now, and it's pretty tried and tested. Um, I think you touched on two key points, though. When we talk about enterprises and these industries going through this kind of transformation, actually their history of transformation in some of those industries perhaps isn't been as successful as they and others would have liked. And so I think there's a healthy dose of cynicism in this kind of next big thing that's going to transform mm. their business. Yeah. And so trust is so important here. And, and I think, um, therefore, we need partnerships. We need people who really understand the environments we're going to be deploying this technology in. Because while, uh, certainly in Nokia, we've built quite a big pedigree of people who, who understand from a technology point of view how this can be deployed in healthcare, in transportation, in manufacturing, we don't have 40 or 50 years of operating technology yeah. in these industries. Yeah. People who really understand that when people's lives are at risk, you can't just say, I'll be there in a minute. Or, in fact, we'll get around to you know, upgrading. Actually, this stuff's got to be absolutely 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Now, we understand that from a te telecoms point of view. We've been used to that for many years. But in these kind of environments, you need to understand the idiosyncrasies of how, how these work. So we need partnerships to help us, people who can, we can educate on the benefits of 5G, what it can do for them, and take them on this kind of, yeah, proverbial journey around it's, it. It's quite a, a transformation for you, isn't it, I guess, that in the past, you know, you, you and, and, and your competitors have sort of dealt directly with operators, and all of a sudden we have this enterprise opportunity and people are sort of trying to figure out, you know, I mean, presumably you're having a lot more to do with the likes of car, car makers and, you know, chemical companies than you, than you ever would have done in the past. And, you know, you see in some, I, I don't know so much in the UK, but certainly there have been some countries that have just given spectrum directly to those organisations, haven't they? And you, you sort of, that opens up a completely different kind of opportunity, it seems, in terms of how, how it would all work from a business model perspective. And I think, so let me t touch on one thing, which is I think there's a challenge here around who's going to capture the value of 5G. Totally. I think that's a really um, important question because it should be the telecoms, the big CSP companies. This should be ripe for them to really take advantage. You know, they, they've built these big investments and they're rolling out 5G across countries and across the world. And they are absolutely the right companies to deploy and, and help customers transform. Um, but it hasn't quite proved, to your point, it's been a bit slow so far, but it's accelerating. So how can we help our customers to really take advantage of this, this opportunity for transformation? Um, but there are lots of players coming in. You know, lots of the old traditional SIs are now looking at 5G. <coughs> see, see these, those are, that's the other dilemma that you've got companies like yours um, uh, and obviously a big Nordic rival and, and then other, other kit vendors um, is... As you, as you and Ian have just been chatting about, you're you're having to sort of extend extend some of your competencies to to work more closely and more collaboratively with these other what we call verticals, what we used to call industries, um, or you even say vertical industry, which strikes me as a tautology. But there you go. Yeah. Um, 
Like, is there a non-vertical industry? <laughs> bed, the bed industry. <laughs> I'm here all week. Dear Lord. Trying to feel. Uh. Um, uh, so, you, you, so you have to get close to them and understand how they work in order to be able to help them out with, with their sort of communications and, and, and that sort of thing that, that 5G can help. But then there's a danger that um, an SI that's more used to dipping into various different industries... I don't know, someone like Capgemini or, you know, big um, sort of consultancy slash SI kind of organisation might might be better at that than you. And so then there's a danger, just as you say, it should be the operators that um, that deliver at least the connectivity part of this. We also know in practice in 4G, it's obviously known. We don't use the word OTT so much these days. But certainly when I started this job eight or so years ago, OTT was a really ubiquitous term. And it was used more or less as a pejorative. So OTT being abbreviation for over the top. Yeah. And it's basically describing. The reason it's interesting for me is because I hadn't, I hadn't come from a network-centric point of view. I was a tech journalist before, but not networks. I was more consumer tech and, and, that, and that sort of thing. And... You know, why Why is it a thing? Why are we talking about someone being over the top of the network? And the reason was, my understanding at the time, and either of you correct me if, if you think I got this wrong, is that it, there was a degree of resentment that the network was there, but the people making the wedge were on top of the network. They weren't even paying any rent. And as we know, the, the operators are still trying to get cash out of big tech for using their networks over and above um, everything else. But, you know, the, the likes of the, the, the big Silicon Valley companies and the likes of uh, Uber and and the video streaming companies, they were using their networks, but they were the ones making all the margin. Well, and I, I guess there's that dan- the danger of that repeating There's still well. that criticism now, though, there isn't the... Yeah, well, I mean, that's that, why they're always yeah, trying to get I don't know, extra I mean, money out of them. Over the top is, yeah, it's a bit of a weird expression, I think. It depends where you sit on the on the argument, I suppose. But Yeah, it was very much... A, still, it was an operator-centric that, word. That, I, I that argument's still rolling, you know, that you've got the whole thing recently of big tech should, you know, make contributions to network investment because... Especially it's video all, streaming. It's all their services, yeah. but, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was thinking that the, one of the problems for me, that I'm, I'm not involved with it from a, a sort of, on a day-to-day sort of trying to make it work perspective, but, you know, selling... 4G or 3G or 5G to consumers is it's very easy to sort of scale up isn't it you know you roll it out out, everybody buys a smartphone it's you know you've got millions of customers in the market whereas a lot of this enterprise stuff seems quite you know what what a factory what a car maker might need in terms of automation and how it's all set up and working is not necessarily what a hospital would would have and you know it's then then you've got this problem about you know are operators the best people to do that or you know scott was saying he's a systems integrator that really sort of deals in healthcare and knows how that works the best the best person to do it and i I guess that's just yet to resolve itself and figure itself out but you kind of don't want too many people in in the picture as well to some extent because then it becomes you know everybody's taking a smaller cut aren't they and it becomes harder to make it profitable but I i i suspect this will resolve itself but it just seems like we're going through that process of trying to sort of work out the how the how the economics are going to play out in the long run to some extent look i think i think you're right it will play out i, I think uh, at this point and, uh, and i guess off use term but customer centricity at this point is critical isn't it because yeah. we need to build solutions that deliver outcomes to these industries yeah, totally. not sell them technology and 100%. um and and so the question is what is the right solution for those industries and then and then at that point everyone pivots to what's the killer use case that's going to and actually what we've discovered through the and we've delivered now hundreds of private networks across the world in every industry with every use case is that what happens is you build the business case probably on one use case um we've done one with the ports for example that's built on 
cameras. Just the fact that just having good quality connectivity to the cameras so they can actually watch what the hell's going on across the port yep. has been uh, was enough to underpin the business case. And for then the what private they, network. For the private network. What, it, because what they then do, is then, then they've overlaid on top of that use case after use case mm. after use case. And the cameras, obviously, you can have all kinds of clever like image recognition Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. AI yeah. and, and you can do you can do asset tracking and all these kind of good things. With is the UK particularly sort of dynamic in terms of what's happening there compared to other, other countries? I mean, I know they've had this... No, he's not going to say the, no, is he? <laughs> talk, talk, no, but I know they had this, um, which I mentioned, the Spectrum thing in Germany. I think Ofcom was doing something similar with... Right. A spectrum ban, but I've not heard much about whether people are taking advantage of that or, you know, how how much the industry is involved in it. Yeah, so I saw a report recently actually on exactly that question. Right. So it's kind of handy. I remember that before I came in here, <laughs> um, which talked about well, okay, which country has the most private networks? And right now, uh, number one is US, yep. followed by Germany, Japan, and then the UK. Okay. Um, and so on a global stage, the UK is doing pretty well, I think. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Look, the government's been pretty active here. DCMS have done a lot of seed funding around labs and tests and proof of concepts. They've been doing it for some time, and I think that's energised the market. You're right. We have shared spectrum here, uh, N77. Um, uh, which been used for some private private 5G solutions. but then, And then, of course, all of our big incumbents have been very active here as well, actually. They've all been on the front foot here. And we've got deployments with all of them in the UK in a range of different use cases. Perhaps the most exciting one recently was First 5G Hospital. Um, okay. with O2 Virgin Media where we're flooding the, uh, the hospital with 5G and we're going to do the same things, asset tracking, um, looking at trying to understand where patients and beds are, for example, starting to give more connectivity to uh, healthcare professionals. We have an interesting, actually, as talking about healthcare, there's a really interesting one we've done in, um, in Oulu in Finland where actually just by... <laughs> uh, having a sort of a robot, for want of a better term, that's just dis- dis- uh, distributing pharmaceuticals across hospital, just by using 5G to track and move that robot around and dispensing the pharmaceuticals, the nurses are not having to walk so much around the hospital. Therefore, they can spend more time with patients. Therefore, they can be in the right place at the right time. Drug robot, I like it. Can, and, can you do surgery as well? Um, we'll get there, yeah. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> this is something we've taking the piss out of a lot on the podcast <coughs> when we had I don't know if you've ever seen them but there's um, there's a guy who's just leaving BT but they're the former they're soon to be former chief architect Neil McRae we've had him on a couple of times and both times we've had him on we've taken the piss out of um, BT slash EE's marketing because they always have these in my view absurd use cases and the first one they did was some bloke on the top of a mountain in a chair with some robot shakily Shaving propelling him. towards him with a razor in his hand and I was just thinking get that fucking thing away from me and then another one with people like landing a plane from their living room and it's just like what are you doing but then I do you know and then we take the piss but I do have some sympathy for their marketers as a bit of a tangent because it's not that much of a tangent because it's central to the, the theme of what we're talking about now which is you know what is the point of 5G in, in, in like words of one syllable and, you know, I think what we've already said so far, and I agree, is, is it's a much more complicated solution, much more complicated sell than previous ones were. But I do have sympathy with them. They're trying to, they're trying to sell something as ethereal and intangible as connectivity. And so you used to have things in the past that were all these aspirational things like, you know, BT, it's good to talk and you get to chat to Maureen Lippmann or whatever. Um, and then and then other aspirational Hoskins, stuff with it? everyone keeping in touch. I wasn't going to say. <laughs> and Maureen Lippmann's showing my age. That's like 90. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, remember, it was when, when the kid got shit exam results. And right. she, she found a way of putting a positive spin on it over the phone. So they, so they have to sell the concept of remote connectivity. So I understand that. And then when, it's, when they're trying to sell data connectivity, so they can't have Maureen Lippmann anymore, or Bob Hoskins or whatever, 
they've got to have this data-connected yeah. fucking saber-wielding robot. <laughs> um, and so I have some sympathy, but I still reserve the right to take the piss. That's but all. is is the... I mean, you were mentioning the, the hospital 5G use case. is Because there's a lot of talk about... People who are sceptical say, well, why do you need 5G to do that? Can you do it with a good 4G connection? Can you do it with fibre and Wi-Fi in the building? And, um, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm curious why. What, what, sort of, what sort of advantages 5G would bring in that in that specific environment, I guess? Yeah, look, um, actually, just one thing before I comment on that. Look, it's fair to say that there are some people who are still cynical about the rollout of 5G and been, been, been a bit... In fact, some of our, even our competitors have talked about the fact we're being too slow in rolling out 5G. But the fact is... That's just not the case. I alluded to earlier with the private 5G. We are fourth in the world in terms of consumption of private networks. This stuff is coming and it's yeah. going to transform the world. And I might be a little bit evangelical at that point, but it's definitely it's absolutely coming. Okay. And, and by um, the way, on, on the subject of unnamed competitors, uh, someone who sells 5G kit complaining that 5G is not rolling out quick enough is slightly self-interested, isn't it? Uh, you but might I mean, say that. I couldn't, uh, possibly, couldn't possibly comment. comment. <laughs> yeah. so, anyway, and sorry, what are you going to say? Because but I think the point here is that, um, yeah, you're right, there are plenty of use cases that can be delivered on 4G. But really, when we're talking about, and I get back to this mission-critical point, when we're talking about when we're in environments where lives are at risk, this is where 5G becomes really important, where the low-latency piece, the ability to have multiple interfaces with not just you know tens and twenties and hundreds of points you've got thousands and thousands of access points gathering huge amounts of sensor data and so then let's pivot for a second perhaps not so mission critical but certainly from a, a climate change human nature agriculture agrotech this is an industry that um produces about just under 10 percent of the world's carbon yeah and actually it's well known that right now globally we produce enough food to feed the world but something like 30 to 40% of food is lost in processing, transportation, a picking of fruit, whatever it may be. Stuff is lost. And um, technology has a role to play here to help this industry. Yeah. There's just no doubt that thing, that 5G and 4G, for that matter, um, can help. And we're doing, we've done some trials with vertical farms in the US. We've done trials in rural farms in the UK mm-hmm. where you're starting to provide connectivity that can use drones to assess crops, to derive where you put targeted feed in, targeted watering, that you can assess the right time to pick crops, that you can have all the equipment in the right place. And these things will save on carbon because you're not driving around trucks all the time looking at, okay, shall I, you know, we've all seen Clarkson's farm recently, he spends most of the time on the tractor and a pretty big tractor. Do you know what happened? But I've heard oh, really good, good things about it. Oh, if he's not watching, you should yeah. do. Yeah, 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 no, I've heard nothing so, but good things about it. You couldn't do that stuff with 4G. This is where, you know, the sort of drones. Uh, I actually saw strawberry picking robots in a Dastral Park mm, a couple absolutely. of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, that was a fantastic event. Yeah, yeah. Um, and no, no, the same as big machinery. If you're tracking, yeah. if you've got a big machinery, and if, if I segue <clears> to the Australia for a minute, these big mines where these trucks are the size of houses... You know, if you're going to be controlling them using technology, you need 5G. And I think we've all talked, I think you've probably heard the car, you know, the remote control car analogy here at this point, maybe. Yeah. Which is that if you think about the difference between 4G and 5G, think about you're a kid, you're driving a remote control car, and also you click to go left and right, further away you get, gets, yeah. a, gets a bit lack of control, and you try and stop, and most of the time you crash it into the bush. That's the difference with 5G, of course. You're going to have complete control to milliseconds over long distances, which means you can safely and accurately control these big machines. Yeah. Um, you, you sound quite upbeat on the sort of speed of rollout, because I, I don't know what the... I'm sure Omdid does things like this, what coverage is at the moment, but I think BT was saying they're at just over 50% recently. Population coverage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, because... Sounds about right. I, I remember when 4G was being rolled out, and I know they got a sort of... Um, 
they, they, they got a favour, didn't they, from Ofcom, I think, EE, when well, they were rolling out there, they were allowed to use 1800. Yeah. And then it seemed to happen extremely quickly in a year or two. All of a sudden, they were sort of boasting And 90%. all the other operators and, were really pissed off, weren't they? Yeah, remember? and then you look at some other markets like... Um, uh, Germany, say, where I know Deutsche Telekom claims it's a sort of 90 odd percent households, and the Chinese seem to have rolled out very fast. But I don't know, maybe it's more nuanced than that. I, 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 because it doesn't, it doesn't sound like it, it doesn't sound bad to be at 50 percent, but there's still complaints that there's not spots, and you know, it doesn't seem to be happening as fast as it did on the back in the 4G days. Um, I think uh, it's probably not a question for me in terms of speed of rollout, probably one yeah. more for the telecos, telecoms themselves, but let me be sh- we are supporting them all in various different guises. And I think what's really... It's not like you don't want to flog them, Kit, is it? I, I'd be quite happy them to speed up, as we were alluding yeah. to earlier. <laughs> but I think what's also important here is that when we think about the 5G technology, it's not just about the RAN rollout. It, it's not just about that radio macro site, as, you, as we will all understand in this room. It's about then having the back-end connectivity, the IP network infrastructure, yep. the optics, the fixed network broadband, because we Luckily, all know... you do that as well. Uh, by surprise, <laughs> we do do that as well. Because you need to get the 5G to fibre... As soon as possible, you know, we talk a lot about yeah. 5G being a fibre technology because you've got to get it in the ground to get the benefits of it. And so stitching that whole end-to-end solution in that classic, you know, oft-used phrase is mm-hmm. really important because that's when we'll reap the benefits, yeah. uh, particularly when we start to think about 5G advance when it comes around. Well, and the, actually, we'll get onto that that 5G advance and 6G and all that jazz. Um, the, um, you know, the other thing, the other from my understanding sort of technological challenge with 5G is once you start to get into mid-band let alone millimetre wave one of the reasons you're, the, the rollout's going to appear slower and certainly the geographical coverage is going to be a lot slower is the, the propagation characteristics once you get above about 2 gigahertz I start to sort of tail off, I think, quite rapidly, isn't well, that right? Well, that's the criticism about the, the German example is that I think the operators there have been quite heavily reliant on, what's it called, uh, dynamic spectrum sharing to, to roll out quickly. So you using lower spectrum bands to kind of share yeah. between 4G and 5G. And we, we had a big chat about this on the pod. Yeah. In fact, we had experts <coughs> on, and I don't think they ever totally convinced me that 5G over normal low frequency is that much better in terms than of anything else no but and, and, and I don't know if you've got and, a thought on that and but. therefore proper 5g i guess you could say is using the what is it 3.5 mm. or, or higher bands plus but, yeah um yeah look I, th- I think what i would say is that what what we'll see is um accelerated deployment of small cells coming soon so and i think that to the millimeter wave as well we'll start to roll up in urban areas densifications coming um, and that will you know, deliver more quality, more access for everybody. And, of course, just to make the point again, that's going to need more fibre. So the fact that we've had accelerated fibre rollout in the UK, which is, you know, as we've all seen in the stats, accelerated massively in the last two years, this is hugely beneficial yep. for us to take advantage of the, um, the increasing rollout of 5G, for sure. What's and- it at now, the fibre, in terms of population? It was, it's gone up, like you say, it's gone up dramatically, hasn't it? Exponentially. From almost nothing to 30 or percent or whatever. Or Why do you think it's happened? It is, is, is it because of 5G primarily, do you think? Because we, we've had some guesses that some of it is to do with broader macro trends such as the um, investment environment. Um, and it actually looking like a safer bet to throw some cash into fibre than it is to throw it into bonds or shares yeah. or, or other kinds of investment. But what do you think, Phil? Why, why has it accelerated as much as it has in the last year or two or three or whatever? So I think there are, I think there's a couple of reasons, and you've touched on them. I think there's no question that you know, the market, when we think about the 5G, is going to demand fibre. And so I think when people look forward over a kind of yeah, a three or five year horizon, the demand for fibre is there now and it's coming. Um, it's getting sorry, sorry, it's increasing. Um, yeah, the financial 
situation has definitely played a part. Um, you know, we've seen a, a flurry of investors come to the market. Was it something like 100, 150 altnets stood up in too, the last too many. Uh, 250 <laughs> years? Well, I don't know. I, th- yeah. I, I think they've all come to the market well-backed. There's yeah. a lot of good lead management teams. Yeah. And, and they are meeting a need. And that need is connectivity, often in rural areas, that's, that's, that's needed. Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think it's good in a way because if it, if it hadn't happened, I suppose, the, the, I mean, it, one thing it's, it seems to have done, from my perspective, is galvanised open reach as well to, to invest. And you obviously want the biggest network operator mm. to be spending money on this. But I, I sort of wonder how it... spent money on a few it, beers earlier on this week. So yeah, we I wonder how it plays out uh, competitively. You know, in terms of um, how many how many players are, are, are the market. I mean, I know there was Point Topic. I think doing some data on. You know, you're going to have some areas of the country that have got five or six overbuilt networks, and it's probably too many to be economically viable. And we're, we're going to. I mean, I know it's not an original thing to say. There's probably going to be quite a lot of consolidation, I guess, in that market in the next year or two. Give us something to write about. Indeed. Not takeover activity. But. Well, look, I, so I think one thing we're saying, the first thing mm. is that the the market is working, if you like, because you're yeah. right, you look back three years ago, the fibre wasn't there in a way that we knew we were going to need it over the coming decade. And that has accelerated the last two years. And if you look forward to 2027, the stats will say that we'll be around 30 million or thereabouts of homes passed with fibre by then which is going to be fantastic. It will put us in the top five in Europe in terms of fibre connectivity based on current projections. That's a pretty good place to be. Um, In terms of the overbuild, I think this is... You talked about being hyped. I think the overbuild risk is overhyped. There will be some overbuild, of course, but right now the the priority has got to be getting good connectivity Mm. to everybody. We've been talking about, um, you know, a quality of access and the whole digital divide. This is fundamentally built upon something from our perspective in telecoms, having good connectivity, and, and that means fibre and broadband. And even I saw a statue the other day, I think they cited Glasgow City, even today, as having one of the broadest ranges of connectivity. So some, one end of the scale, some parts of Glasgow only getting one or two meg to their home. Right. Oh, I saw, yeah, we wrote that up. That was a study, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Other parts of Glasgow getting 840 yeah. meg, which is clearly fantastic. Yeah. But it also shows there's work to be run. There's still the need for more fibre to be rolled out. Yeah. So I think it's just more about how do we continue to do more to make sure everyone has access to good connectivity. It's interesting because, you know, you look at the amount of money that's being spent, I mean, particularly by BT, I'm looking at their sort of financial reports and how much they're spending on capex now the capital intensity figure i think is now it's the 23 percent it was it was 14 percent back in 2016 but i guess there comes a point when you know most of that money i guess is in the civil engineering isn't it and actually laying the the fiber there comes a point when this is done it's like i, I guess it's it's kind of like the rollout of copper you know which started whatever it was a, a, a hundred years ago before our times so long before our times but you know it's I suppose it's feasible to see a, a point in the late 2020s, early 2030s when this is done and the cost profile of, of operators then potentially look quite different. And I mean, it might, it's, it's possibly a good thing for Nokia because I suppose then there's more money to spend on the electronics and, and the upgrades rather than having to worry about this huge investment that you make in civil engineering. That's very much a kind of... It's not even once in a generation. It's kind of once in a century type thing, isn't it, that seems to be going Yeah, and, and you can see why, like what I was alluding to earlier with the investment community quite liking the look of it. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you can see, you know, I don't know what calculations they put in in terms of risk and 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 the lifetime of the of the investment. But if you put, put fibre down, presumably you're going to be extracting some rent from that fibre for fucking ages. So... 
it seems it's a long-term investment. Is that why they wrote in the business case? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, through this pod, I'm trying to encourage more swearing in, in business communications. Uh, I was chatting. I think it was at the BT Drinks. I was chatting to some... Yeah, I think it was uh, a guy from OpenReach <laughs> who doesn't mind a swear. And we were just having a conversation about why, other than, you know, I, I, I don't I think of it. It's just how I talk. But it does, for emphasis, and for sometimes for a degree of sort of comedic emphasis, it does have a place. I mean, obviously, I mean, when I was up on stage doing the, the Glowtel Awards that I mentioned last uh, a, a week or so ago, I don't think, did I swear once when I was up there? I don't think I did. I can't remember. No, no. So I can, I can turn it off. I can turn the filter off. And obviously, I'm, I'm a father, and I was used to when my kids were little, sort of dialing it down a bit. Um, not now. Now they, now they get a full Monty, uh, the teenagers. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, it's, yeah, swearing's it's a funny thing. But I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, one thing Shut I was away with words. <laughs> well, because people say, well, you only swear because you can't think of a proper word. No, that's bollocks. <laughs> Sometimes only the swear word. The swear word is the proper word. Thank you very much. Phil, is, is there a lot going on the fibre front? Yeah, back to proper. Swinging back to the focus the, the, the of the FTTA podcast. stuff. But you were talking about the link with. Um, you know, 5G, and you need you need all of that, obviously, for the backhaul. And I mean, uh, is there a lot of investment going into that? I mean, we had an event this week actually on that topic specifically, 5G kind of transport, but connecting, you know, putting fibre out to towers, and then even even rearchitecting things. I suppose. I mean, this gets us into the. VRAN, open RAN area a bit, I suppose, mm. but people talking Actually, about... we should go there, because uh, Nokia's yeah. quite keen on it, isn't Yeah, it? well, I was just wondering, you know, is there, there's this talk about, you know, being able to sort of consolidate your, your baseband equipment, yep. and, and and you need a lot of fibre in the ground to be able to do that, obviously, to have those links back to the radios, but is there much talk of that in the UK at all at the moment, or is it just a bit too early for anybody to be thinking of, of that stuff? So I think a couple of comments. So one is, look, the reality is that at the moment, most of the focus of the talk nets, and in fact, open each other's, is to get fibre out to the consumer. That's really driving, that's what the business cases were built on, and that's what the real focus is, homes passed. And in fact, increasingly so now, actually, homes connected is really the key metric we should be talking about. And, um, so Homes Pass is just, just to clarify, that's the fibre going near you and you still have to take On this. your street or something. That's right. And, then, yeah. and there's this bit of controversy about how near is it sometimes with Homes Pass. Is it just Pass. a cabinet? There can be, yes. Yeah, but yeah. so this Homes Connected metric, I think, is right. more is more critical. Yeah. Uh, Less and, woolly. And, and yeah, it's very clear that way. You are connected. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll see that become more of the important metric for, for how we're doing. Um, and, and talking to many of the alternates, they are, you know, they're certainly thinking about mobile backhaul, connecting towers, as you say, yeah. certainly small cell connectivity when as I alluded to earlier will need fiber um, but I think it's uh, as a secondary priority right now but I think we'll start to see that become more important over the coming years um, and to your point yeah when we think about yeah cloud ran um, and some of the disaggregation discussions around the RAN. And I guess at this point, because it's been about half an hour, we've not mentioned ORAN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> the point when the ORAN conversation comes in. Um, and, I, and I guess on that, I think for um, the, the, the need for fibre, actually we'll get to ORAN in a minute, I'm sure. Yeah. The need for fibre around, around CRAN is, as you say, absolutely critical. Yeah. Um, so I think we, see, we definitely see a journey towards once we've done all of the, the consumer piece, got the, con- the homes connected, we'll see a shift towards connecting everything else. It's an interesting thing from a Nokia point of view, because obviously compared to um, your main competitors in the UK, you do both the mobile and the fixed. I like the way you keep repeating that. It's super helpful for me, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and uh, my bribes in the post, I presume. Yes, of course. Um, although you might not like my follow-up, which oh, was... Dear. Well, 
I mean, and you, I, I'm not going to press you to, co- to comment on this, but I remember, <coughs> you know, Ian and I chatting about it on the pod when when the Alcatel Lucent acquisition first happened. There was lots of talk about. You mentioned the word end-to-end solutions, and there was lots of talk about that from a from a, a sort of business model point of view for Nokia. And then I think subsequently, I don't know if it was when. Um, the last, what was he called? It was Re- Pekka Lumar took over. They yeah, so when Suri left and Lumar took over, there was sort of, yeah, it turns out people don't just come to us and say, give us the full Monty. I and mean, this is my very dumbed down outsider point of view. But I guess I'm just curious to know. So we don't need to relitigate what, what your CEO has spoken about when, when he took over about that. But it, it still looks like, to me, that the Alcatel Lucent thing probably was a good move. It was up in the air. For me as a journalist, it was up in the air for a while. But, you know, now what we're talking about now about 5G and fiber being very um, sort of interdependent, um, it does seem like a good position to be in to be offering both, if not maybe in the way that that Raji Surya, whoever was in charge of that big bit of mega M&A when it happened, you know, presumably they imagined a, a, a unique selling point or at least a great commercial prospect of just being able to offer the full Monty. And it turns out that's not I, quite I, how things are bought. I mean, my perspective on it is, and I don't expect you to necessarily comment for it, but I, I thought that bit of M&A went better than... I mean, the Alcatel-Lucent merger that happened was very problematic, I think, mm. for years. And Whereas Nokia buying... Paul, Paul's nodding in the background. No, Nokia, he's, a, he's, a, he's a veteran of all yeah, this stuff. Nokia buying Alcatel-Lucent. <laughs> Sorry for landing you in the more, ship by saying you were nodding, Paul. And I know there was, there I know there was some criticism about... Um, it. You know, it took they took their eye a bit off five G, and there were some issues there, which now seem to have been resolved. It seems, you know, that there was a, there was a slip up there, but um, it, it the whole thing seems to have played out quite well now. I mean, you look certainly look at the margins and the the kind of financial state of the company. It looks it looks pretty certainly yeah. Since Pekka came in, actually, it looks well, it just, quite. It just took a while to bed down. And, yeah. and I guess massive mega M and A like but, that. But does. that is the big change, I suppose, in in terms of his approach, isn't it? That you have all these. Um, different business units, and you you know you, you you push them to customers, but we dispense with the kind of trying to sell everything in one go, end to end type thing. Which I, I suppose still there are still people who want to do that, but yep. you don't sort of force it on them. I think the, the critical point here is well, maybe it's two points. One is that yeah, look, Pekka's brought clarity, and and I think what I love particularly myself about working for Nokia is we have a clear purpose, and that's all around we create the technology to help the world act together. I think they just I think I just love that line because it, it encapsulates your, your line, it is it? our strap line and it just works really well to how oh, what we do and it particularly plays to some of the things we we're talking about in the enterprise side. Yeah. But yeah, he's also been very clear and we have business been very clear that we need to have the best technology in the areas we operate and that's we've been absolutely sort of militant in focus around making sure we have that focus and I think Tommy's been very clear from an MN point of view we had a bit of a turnaround two years ago yep. that turnaround's done we're now focused on accelerating and growing and that we can see that in as you say in the performance of our uh, that we reported in our numbers just last quarter and um, I've got so- a small amount of Nokia shares and Ericsson shares in my little it's thing called free trade. Okay. Like a little Where's this going to go? Entry. No, it's you actually should, good you for you. You admit things like that. It's, it's only like five quid, isn't it? Yeah, no, I always admit, <laughs> yeah, these conflicts of interest, I think I've got about a 20 quid of each. Yeah. I don't think it counts as a conflict of interest. Okay. I'm not going to try and talk up the share price on this pod to get an extra quid. Um, but no, no, I'll just say that since I bought them, which I don't know, a couple of years ago, uh, Nokia is, is green, i.e. it's up, and Ericsson's is red, i.e. it's down. So something is Well, Ericsson's well not a good year for, for various They're reasons. They're not had a great year. No. Um, yeah, but, but anyway, that's not to, that's not to diss Ericsson. Yeah, yeah, and this isn't to diss Ericsson. It's just, again, a stream of consciousness thing. But in terms of your, your share price, it's going in the right direction, and there's normally a good reason for that, um, for people who are far 
better educated on these things than I am. They've decided that you know, since a couple of years ago, things are going the right way. So, so I think that's all good. Yeah, I, I, what I would say at this point, and perhaps picks on the, the point you were making earlier, our breadth and depth of portfolio plays to our advantage here. Because I think you, what you see often is, you know, you see investments, capital investments come in cycles. And, and actually our ability, therefore, to take advantage of those different cycles in different parts of our business means we really have a robust approach to the market and that stands us in good stead with our customers as well as, as you say. And I think it's interesting when companies make a little misstep, like you publicly admitted with the sort of FPGA sort of stuff that we've spoken about plenty of times on the pod. You know, what can you do? You, you have a go at something and it turns out it wasn't such a great move and then all you can do is go, right, okay, we're going to fix it. And, and that seems to be, like, in terms of sort of quarterlies and Nokia share price and that sort of thing, ever since it became clear that that, that side of thing had been fixed on the on the mobile side, because it was mainly it was, it affected mobile, didn't it, the FPG? Yeah, it was all so, mobile, yeah, it was yeah. 5G. Yeah. Making sure I wasn't yeah. talking complete shit, that's yeah. all. I'm always checking for you to see if you suddenly start going... <laughs> I made a throat-cutting gesture for those who aren't watching on video. Um, but, yeah, I think that's all you can do. It's just go, all right, uh, we gave that a go. There were obviously good reasons. There are reasons why something being field programmable could be advantageous, but it didn't turn out. Uh, and then what you can do is fix it. And judging by quarterlies and share price and that sort of thing, you probably have. So fair play. Should we, uh, have you got... Well, I was going to say, we haven't really talked about open round. Oh, I was going to bring it up. I thought we'd duck that one. Uh, great minds <laughs> think alike. Well, so the reason I brought it up, sorry to preempt, and, and no, no, do, do, do build on this, it's just that, like when I'm covering it, when, when open round first coming up, we'd always be like, well, this is a bit existentially difficult for the likes of Nokia and Ericsson and, and, and Huawei and whoever else, big kit vendors. Yeah. Um, because, of course, by definition, it's trying to open up the RAN, where, where typically, again, from my very non-technical, um, ill-educated point of view, you would just buy a complete solution from Nokia or one of its competitors that would cover the full monty of what you needed to make the radio access network bit work. Um, and then opening it up, suddenly the theory is that you can cherry pick and, and buy a chip from this person and an antenna from that person and a bit of I software think, from I think the you other. you described it well there. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. Um, and, and, and so intuitively I always thought this was a nightmare for big kit vendors. And I used to quite enjoy, whether it was Nokia, Ericsson, Huawei, whoever, I used to quite enjoy going, so uh, Open Rand seems to be going well and just seeing, seeing if they'd squirm. <laughs> but Nokia, of all of... Uh, among you and all your competitors seems to have most uh, openly and enthusiastically embraced it, which is a bit counterintuitive for me because it does seem like a threat to your legacy RAN business model. So maybe you can explain why I'm wrong. Well, what I can say is you're right. We were one of the first major vendors to join the Aranda Alliance. I was right on that bit. You were absolutely right <laughs> on that bit. And um, because Aranda's going to have a role to play in the future of the RAN networks. Um, what role it's going to play, I think we can discuss robustly. Um, and I guess it plays that point around how does the evolution of CRAN play into that yeah. and the importance of that. Because um, the two get mixed up, don't they? Actually? They do. Uh, you know, that's, that's not least increasingly starting to frustrate me that people sort of mix up, you know, VRAN or CRAN with, with Open RAN and... You know, you, you talk to people like. Is there uh, no overlap in the Venn diagram? Well, a lot of the, a lot of the networks will be both. Right. Actually, okay. That's the, they'll do both. But there are instances where someone's only like NTT Docomo to me is the clearest example of someone doing. It's not really open round because it's not based on or it hasn't in the past been based on 
um, ORAN Alliance specs, but they've been doing this for a long time, taking radios from one vendor and, and, and sort of matching them with baseband equipment from somebody. In fact, I think Nokia's involved in that, but mm-hmm. that's a comment on that. But uh, but, they, but it's not virtualized. You need to talk to the okay. people working on that. It's not a, so they're not they're not running it on general purpose equipment. You know, that's the that's the virtualization bit really. Um, okay. Separation of hardware software. You know, you put it on a. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it easy to get it mixed up because I, I sort of think, I, I, I always thought to a certain extent, <clears throat> Oran, OpenRAN was about general purpose equipment. I mean, we're, we're well, talking a lot of time. We're talking about like servers and chips and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, because I think people would do both a lot yeah. of the time. So, um, you know, it's it, Oran's almost yeah, it's kind of a step further in a way. But you don't have to have a virtualized network to to be able to sort of mix and match. Okay. Vendors, you just have to have the interfaces that you, that allow you to do it, and and you have to go through right. It's the interface, and then, yeah, and then yeah. you have to go through a, which I'd be interested to get your perspective on. Actually, a huge sort of difficult job in terms of integrating it all, and that's the to me when I write about this, that seems to be the biggest challenge at the moment from an operator perspective trying to hmm. make this work. Is that that whole systems integration thing, where you you know you were saying you buy something from Nokia and it all comes out. It all comes out the, uh, yeah. the shop, and it's all ready for you. We sort of loosely works. make the analogy of like a, a, a Mac versus a, yeah. a, a like someone, a Dell that I got, got here. To, someone's got to put that together. And I remember yeah. talking to Tommy about this a few months ago, or maybe it's longer ago than that. But he was saying that there's so many different options with these specifications that getting your equipment to work or your software to work with somebody else's is not a straightforward thing. It's 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 really hard work, you know. Um, it was I was on an event yesterday actually and they were talking about this extensively because obviously it's still a hot topic and, and, and takes up a lot of yeah pages of uh, of of press and, and people writing papers and so forth. And and what was coming out of the at the event here was two things. One is that the general feeling was that the F, well this was what someone was was um trying to uh, to I guess justify was that the investment and the integration to get it up and running is kind of going okay and people he was trying to make the case that actually that's kind of you know people's starting to get their heads around now however the ongoing maintenance the security the ongoing operations upgrades this is still a big challenge right and the industry still hasn't got its head around how to make that cost effective and I think it's been interesting that actually certainly from that event yesterday, all of the panellists there were talking about the fact that, oh, this is not a cost-saving drive. This is a disruptive technology. And you can see the language has shifted a bit, I think. Yeah, well, I've, I've never understood the cost argument, really. But other than if you get more vendors into a market, yeah. the competition. It, then it would drive down prices. The competition which but, may lead to lower costs, but, but there not was, necessarily. There was a lot of the vendors who were really sort of pro-open um, RAN or, or VRAN come out with these, you know, really sort of... Um, Oh, I'm, I'm repeating myself. Pierre just played <laughs> Ian's voice back to him um, by accident. Come out with these really sort of ag- aggressive figures for how much you can sort of save on OPEX and CAPEX. You need to listen to Rakuten's sort of numbers that they throw out. And I'm, I'm always sort of thinking, well, how? Because it's, you're just mixing and matching. Ven- and, you know, I can see, again, I can see getting more vendors into the market, more competition drives prices down. But other than that, I don't really... And then the only other one I get, I suppose, is when we're talking about you know, cloud RAN. Yes, I can see you can save some money because you, if you can reduce how much you're spending on servers and you consolidate that, you, you might get some savings there. But then the the other side of it is where well, you need a huge front hall investment to to make that work anyway in the first in the first place. Yeah, but then you, there's different benefits. You start to talk about pop-up services and true yeah. kind of pop-up MVNO and these type of things. Yeah. And I think when we think about I guess moving towards, and again, the other hot topic or the other buzzword is, of course, 
metaverse. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I know. Don't get me started. <laughs> so, um, you know, but when we think about that, I think certainly from Nokia's perspective, we see three different versions of that coming up. And when we think about there's a consumer metaverse, there's kind of enterprise in the very traditional kind of business context, and there's the industrial one. Then we think about Cloud Run being a real enabler for delivering potentially targeted capabilities and solutions specific to that, for example, in, in industrial vertical, if that's not... Um, well, I can allow it. <laughs> um, because I think that's what's going to be required. We will see more and more tailored solutions specific to those verticals, because yeah. that's what they're going to need. Um, and and I think that's where CloudRun could have a really interesting enabling function because that pop-up piece, the flexibility, agility it brings, becomes a really powerful differentiator. I think. Do you, do you think uh, you know Open Run? Into I know there's all these analyst forecasts about how much of the market it's going to account for in the mid 2020s and you know further out. But do you, I mean, what's your kind of view? Do you think it's mainly because I know a lot of the early early sort of talk is about it being used in a private wireless context, maybe or you know greenfield settings where you don't have a an existing network and it's perhaps easier to do and there might be a specialist bit of software from some company that you know has, has gone into that market and tried to target it whereas trying to do it on a macro level is obviously much more complicated but is that where you think it would take off more in the in the first case or I think it's hard to predict. Look, it's going to have a role to play, yeah. and, and and I think um, some of the hurdles are in a way. You know, we'll surely as an industry, we'll get through them over time. I think increasingly you start to think, or we think of ORAN in the context of more six G than perhaps five G, yeah. um, and and the benefits it could bring when we talk about the next generation. Uh, because of course the reality is, with the uh, despite you saying earlier that perhaps five G is not going as fast as it could, the reality is there's been a lot of five G rolled out globally yeah. already. Um, and so the investments have been made, the capex has been spent, the solutions are there. Um, Oran's, Oran's come too late for it almost. There was yeah. one, and there was one in the cycle. There was yeah. certainly one token in the UK that was, came up very early on and said exactly that. Yeah. Um, that they've already made their capex investment. This yeah. is. This well, will I, remember, be next I, I remember three UK's um, CEO saying it on a call I was on. I think it was actually their their pandemic Christmas. Um, Drinks. Special, yeah, but he but he did a little Q and A first, and he was asked about Oran, and he went, "Well, it's probably too late for five G because we've already made our decisions we've already about blown all our cash." But yeah, but then but then several people have said it since then. I'm talking to Telenor, and they were saying a similar thing, and and then so you do yeah you do start start to see it maybe more in more of a six G context. I know there's outliers like Vodafone doing its little thing in the west of the UK, but it doesn't sound easy. And that's six G. That. I think Phil can be spared <laughs> something here because we've been we've been talking for an hour already, oh. and we haven't even got onto six G. Um, so I'm not going to inflict, uh, if we're not sure what the point of 5G, what's the point of 6G question on you, which which I'd had in reserve. Um, but, but yeah, in terms of timing, I mean, one of the problems with this is we, we, we chatted about this in the last pod that, that didn't that didn't get saved by the camera. Um, so that's kind of fresh in my mind. Um, but, but yeah, I'll spare you that. Um, yeah, the only thing I wanted to finish off, and then I, I'm going to move it on because we've been talking for an hour, um, is... Just back what I was alluding to earlier, this, what I perceived to be um, an existential threat to big kit vendors from Open Run. Um, I I actually get why uh, Nokia has has embraced it, not because internally, and I expected to confirm or deny this, not because internally. You're not sort of thinking, well, our lives would be a lot fucking easier if that thing didn't exist, and people. You know, basically had a choice of us or one of our direct competitors for for all their rand stuff, and that's and and a chat. But you know, if it's there, then you've got to look facts in the face. 
And then obviously also, as you've just been alluding to, also explore the ways in which it's a, it's a useful technology for everyone and which you can help provide it. Um, you know, and then also what Ian was talking about from the system integration point of view, which is a paradox we've always reflected on, haven't we, with OpenRAN. Mm. If this main system integrator through OpenRAN end up being Nokia, Ericsson, Huawei, ZTE, et cetera, then how is it any different? From well, point I, closed I wonder run. whether that some of these forecasts about you know Oran's going to account for twenty five percent of the market by twenty twenty six. Whether someone buys all their kit from Nokia and it's Oran compatible, but you just go, well, it makes more sense to get it all from Nokia because you get more suppliers in. The, I mean, Neil McRae always says this: once you can start getting lots of suppliers in the mix, your costs actually tend to go up. You know, mm. um, it's you know you've got one. What's that horrible expression? One throat to choke. choke yeah, yeah. And, it's a weird you know, it's expression, like, that. Typical is. kind of thing that Yanks come out with. And then my favourite one is, what's under the kimono? Have you ever heard right, that no, one? I don't know that one. Do you know, I first heard it That's on weird. a... I actually, I did a, an interview. I did a video interview, or I think it might have just been a, a audio interview, with uh, when Mary was at Synchronos. Mary Clark, she's been on the pod several times. She's okay. a mate of mine. Um and uh, and she set up an interview with their CEO, a bloke called Glenn Lurie. Who used to be at and Who used to be yeah. AT&T. And he wasn't a fan of me because I wrote a, a piece years ago called What the Hell is Going On at Synchronous? And there was just all kinds of weird shit going on. Uh, at least as I perceived it at the time. It's covered my ass from their lawyers. And so he was slightly on the defensive. Um, but we got chatting and I, I, had no, I had no desire to sort of relitigate that story because it was all out there in the public domain. But then he just made this. I was say it wasn't a video interview. I just I remember I was listening back to the recording because I was um, recorded it to write it up. And he went, you know, we we can't wait to show to show everyone what's under the kimono. And I just had to interrupt. <coughs> and I just went, Glenn, that's just a really alarming image you just put in that's, my head. It's an, it must be an American. But, thing. But this is an yeah, American, yeah. And, and and it's their way of saying, you know, there's some hidden shit that I can't show you yet. Yeah. But I will. But where they come with this kimono? This is a Japanese dressing gown or something. It's yeah. bizarre. But yeah, throat to choke yeah. is a weird one. Equally Why does it have weird. to be that graphic? But, but I suppose, you know... Tangent it's over. Like, it's, like, <laughs> it's like Kodak, isn't it? You know, the, 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 you yeah, know not, yeah. not adapting. And I know it's They sat on the that, digital technology. If something yeah. comes along and it's going to happen anyway and you go, well, we don't really want to adapt, we're stubbornly going to dig our heels in. Well, furthermore, they had digital then, technology. Then they you're going to lose. And, and, and I mean, I don't expect you to comment on this, but the thing that Pierre was at in New York this uh, week... There's a piece that Mike Dano, um, my colleague, wrote that's um, possibly up on the website now, but certainly will be by the time this goes out. But it, uh, the Ericsson CTO for North America on a panel session said that his forecast for 2030, how much um, open RAN there's going to be, you know, as a percentage of the overall RAN, was 40%, which is very, you know, and you sort of think... From well, whatever single-figure percent it is now. Yeah. And, you, and, you can't, and yet Ericsson's perceived to be you know, not really very enthusiastic. I know they're involved in some Less activities. Less so than Nokia, from my perception. And, and you sort of think, well, if you think it's that much of the market, you know, then why why not sort of embrace it and get <laughs> yeah, on with it? And, you know, why, why, why are you being so a, fucking moody about it? That's a question for them, it. I know. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, so I've, you know, I've made a lot of assumptions um, there. But, I mean... It, in terms of that thing, and then I'll move on from, from this topic, partly because of the interest of time, um, that sort of apparent conflict of we're doing quite well out of, for want of a better term, close RAN, thank you very much, um, but we're also going to get fully involved in this open RAN thing. You know, is, is part of it what we've described, which is you're just looking facts in the face, it's there, we might as well embrace it. Is part of it 
um, just a, well, you know, let's just keep an eye on it and see how it goes. You know, what, what, what is, what's the underlying thinking why, why Nokia is doing, is adopting what to me is a slightly counterintuitive stance of, of being so welcoming and embracing of this new technology? I think the, um, uh, I think the answer question is, as I, I think I said earlier, in the particularly right now, Nokia is focused on having the best technology that our customers need. And so actually, if our customers are looking for the new technology, we're going to find a way yeah, to build no, the best technology it. for them. Yeah. And it's the same with the, with the private wireless, if I segue to them in it. We're going to build the best private wireless networks for the customers that are demanding that in the network. And and that's what our focus is, and, and we'll continue yeah. to be, for sure. Which I think is yeah. perfectly pragmatic. And further to Ian's point about Kodak, Sorry. You know, if they'd uh, if they'd uh, just accepted that that film is going to die, then they might be a bigger company than they are now. You might be right. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, f- for for want of a better term, closed round is going to die. I just think it's yeah. I, I think it's good that there's more considerations in the mix. But again, whenever it seems to be overhyped, you know, and I, a lot of the reason for the hype is is actually coming from political directions, especially the U.S. government. They, I think they've somewhat naively or at least simplistically over-invested in Open RAN because, of course, they've been the main people to, um, to, to try and ensure that... Well, to try and drive Huawei out of business, largely, and then create this, this almost duopoly of kit vendors in the States. Yeah, there are others. I know Samsung and so on. Um, that I think politically they've sort of overreached and they've looked at Open RAN as a panacea for this, for this restricted competitive environment they've created through their own actions against Chinese vendors. Um, and that's where a lot of their overhyping comes from. It certainly doesn't come from, from the vendor side, whether it's big traditional kit vendors like you guys or, or, or other, other, you know, like Maffineer or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's their job to hype it a bit. But I think they've been quite measured. I think most of the overhyping comes from um, the US government and, and their allies. So there we are. I wouldn't expect you to comment on that either. Um, so I'll move it on. I'll move it on to something else which you can comment on. Vodafone CEO. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so we're moving on uh, to sort of a couple of news items, as we always do on the, on the pod. And the biggest <clears> news <throat> item, certainly of the last week, I mean, technically we should be reviewing the last three weeks of news because that's the last time we did a pod, mm. but there we go. We're all getting a bit old. Might be Our memory the, doesn't might be go back that far. one of the biggest ones over the last three weeks, anyway, actually. You what? It might be one of the biggest, one of the biggest ones, ones over the last three weeks. weeks. It's quite significant. So that was, that was this Monday, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So Nick Reeds, who's been there four and a half years as CEO, was suddenly announced that he was stepping down. It, it seemed to be semi-orderly in so much as there are all the usual platitudinous, we thank Nick for being such a great bloke, and, and him going, yeah, Vodafone's been, been the top laugh or whatever it is he says. Um, but... The thing about it, and I actually, I got this. I hope you won't mind me name checking him because we we were just chatting. In fact, I won't name check him just in case because it, it was at BT Drinks and and we were it was very much off the record. But one analyst friend of mine was going, and I'd sort of thought about it, but he crystallised the thought when I was talking to him. He's going, it just seemed a little bit sudden. It didn't seem that sudden. It wasn't like a scandal where you know there was a degree of orderliness, but it wasn't totally orderly, it, especially in so much as there's no immediate succession plan. Mm-hmm. If it's really orderly, like when Nick Reed took over from um, Kalau, was it? Yeah. Um, when Kalau left, Nick Reed was already nominated as his replacement. I seem to remember. Whereas this time, there's no. So it feels like it was a little bit of a. Yeah, but I know a couple of other analysts said they weren't surprised by it. Um, Not surprised so by it, just the specific 
The choreography of it. Yeah. I'm thinking, no, I think, I don't think, I think I'm a Vodafone shareholder as well to the tune yeah. of 20 or 30 quid. And, and their share price very much in the fucking red. I think he was, the things that he, the shareholders were hoping that he'd do, which was uh, M&A activity, I think, really. Because um, mm. they have this, uh, in some markets, maybe a subscale position. I mean, certainly in the UK, they, they've complained about that a few times, you know, not being able to make a decent return on investment. Um, and this is a reason for wanting to combine with three, which is yep. the deal that he's presumably going to leave behind. You know, nothing will resolve on that. It doesn't but, bode well for it. Well, I, I, I did wonder that. I sort of thought if, if there was signs, optimistic signs coming out of the authorities about that, wouldn't he have maybe stayed on a bit longer or been given a bit more leeway by shareholders? I, I, I don't know. But I, mean, maybe, I was never that. Maybe he was viewed by the board as an impediment to it completing. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't. Maybe pissed off. Someone I'm not optimistic about that deal <laughs> happening, but um, but I, I think there were there was. I think shareholders, some of the big activist shareholders, at Sevian and some of the others, were hoping mm. he'd do he'd move more aggressively on the M and A front. And I think the M and A that happened in Spain recently, for instance, is it Spain or was an Orange involved in some M and A in one of the markets where I, I think they were hoping that Vodafone would be the kind of kingmaker there and all this and. Nothing really's kind of so. So nothing's really happened. So they're viewing him as being a bit passive. Well, I think he that was his that that was sort of the expectation of what he it was like his chance to turn this around and and he hadn't really done anything since saying I can't remember what it was. It's eight nine ten months ago maybe that he you know they announced this. We're looking at the portfolio and we're thinking about MA activity and. I think, and I think you know. Look, you go on, and there's not really anything that's happened. There's this three Vodafone merger in the UK that's sort of hanging in the balance. So I'm not very optimistic about it going through. But, but he'd not really, he'd not managed to deliver anything else. And I think that is probably what did for him, ultimately. Um, and just the share price in general, which is yeah, going but, in the wrong direction. But, and their but last I, quarterlies, I, their last quarterlies were a bit shit. I don't know they? about the share price thing because, you know, you look at all the European operators, all the Vodafone's peers, the big ones. And the only one I think that's grown over the last five years is Deutsche Telekom. And the only reason Deutsche Telekom has grown over the last five years is because of T-Mobile US. Yeah. You know, they're all, they've all seen quite big drops, no, I think, point. over the last five years. I, mean, I do B- remember the most BT recent quarterly. worse, I think. It, it felt slightly like, you know, like with football managers, um, they're sort of hanging on, they have a few shit results, and then, and then they lose 4-0 at home to Newcastle. And it's like, right, fuck this. Yeah, it's game over. <laughs> and and the last quarterlies felt slightly. I, I think they had a, like quite a downbeat forecast, and basically, again, look, we're not going to lie to you. Everything's going to be a bit shit for at least a year. Yeah, but they're but they're not that different from other telcos, no, really. I mean, the whole, you know, there's a lot of concern at the moment about energy costs, and obviously, and and wages. You know, BT's been involved in all these negotiations with workers about how much it pays them, and. You know, none of them have the margins are getting squeezed across all these companies at the moment. So I don't really see Vodafone being that they don't they don't stick out in that, on that. So why then to, to pick up on on my chat with this this anonymous analyst? Why, if this was all foreseeable, if they they decided he's had four and a half years, yeah, it, we're not getting whatever results we thought. Mm. You know, back to the sort of <coughs> football thing. We're we're down in the relegation zone. Um, we're going to have to bring in Sam Allardyce. Yeah. Um, the fixer. <laughs> well, I think um, it's... The... Why, but why then... Uh, uh, this is a rhetorical question. I, I presume you don't have an answer. But the rhetorical question is why haven't they choreographed it better such that there's already a replacement in place before they made the announcement? That's the thing that I think this friend of mine made a good point about. 
that he smells a rat. Well, get a, get a, a somebody in. Before well, whoever he, it might yeah. be, and I, and I want to get onto that, and, and maybe that'll be something that'll be sort of less precarious for Phil to pitch in. But, on, but maybe he just is, is who what kind of person <laughs> to replace it. But if if they could see it coming, why haven't they already done discreetly their executive search, gone and found someone, and then done a double announcement where he's off, bless him, his his tons of money as a golden parachute, uh, and and we're announcing that we've got. Elon Musk in charge or whatever. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to go. I don't know. Um, well, that, I'm, I'm just saying yeah, I he, think that's a bit dodge. That's all. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not like they've left the role open, is it? There's an acting CEO there who's quite capable. Yeah, well, so that gets us onto well, the, the, the broader topic that we can talk about. So they've, they've brought in um, Del Valle, I think it's her name. Margarita Della Valle, yeah. Della Valle, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and she is the, CF, was, is the CFO. Yeah. And Nick Reed was the CFO um, back when... <coughs> I mean, she um, could end up being the, the CEO. She yeah, could, might, and so, she so the question I got, and, and the question I think we can we can put in terms that, that hopefully feel, you can feel comfortable chipping in on, because it's not specific to Vodafone. I want to ask it more generally about big operators. Is, isn't, isn't who the CEO should be, but the kind of CEO and, and what that says about the strategic direction. Because when I, when I wrote up the, him leaving at the start of the week, my final paragraph was going... You know who they appoint now could say something about what they think their strategic direction should be, and 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 the two, the sort of fork in the road for me, is if it's another CFO, and this is all you know very very crude, overgeneralized, ill-informed shit, but that's my brand. Um, is if it's another CFO, then it's a sort of bean countery, steady as ship, control margins, you know, maybe try and get a percent or two of ARPU here and there, but not do anything too radical. It's evolutionary. Whereas if you get someone from a different industry or, or a rock star CEO, you know, I say Elon Musk, obviously not Elon Musk, he's busy enough. But, you know, someone someone just surprising but a big name. Um, yeah, Ledge. But, but he has or a telco Le- background, so... Yeah, um, but, but then that would feel a bit more revolutionary. And I genuinely don't know, and, and this is what I wonder, Phil, um, in terms of, you know, where operators are now... Um, and I'm not asking you to prescribe their strategy, but I just want to explore the two options. <coughs> you know, there's one option which is more evolutionary, which is to some extent to accept that they're utilities. Not necessarily solely. They're not the same as a water company or electricity company, but they're primarily, primarily providing a sort of, for want of a term, metered service. Um, and should, you know, is, is, there, is there some argument for just focusing on that? And then there's the other one, which they always try and do. Vodafone is one of them over the years, over the decades. They occasionally roll the dice and go, fuck it, we're going to go diversify in this direction. And it's usually not worked out that well. So, you know, I don't know if I've managed to sanitise this enough for you to feel comfortable talking about it. But I'm just curious to know about, I suppose, what it says about broader strategies for these big operators in terms of um, evolution versus revolution. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think well, you, you've covered it though. It's a bit of yin and yang, isn't there? In the sense of, yeah, you're right. That you know, the telecoms industry invests huge amounts of uh, of money into building big assets, delivering services, critical services to you and I and everyone across the world that we depend upon. Whether that might be blue light services, whether that's just access to your Netflix, whether that is supporting defence services, healthcare services. I mean, we have technology that that we frankly we bruise in the pandemic is critical to the way we live our lives and so but and there's two ways looking at one is that as an investment 
the money returns. And particularly now in the current climate we find ourselves in, as you alluded to, with the cost of living crisis, as, as individuals, as business, as consumers, we are feeling um, the energy OPEX challenge, which the telecoms industry is certainly feeling mm. um, and is having to make adjust for, of course. Um, you need somebody who can clearly understand and make the right decisions around those kind of investments, of course. But perhaps then, if I go back to the point I was making earlier, perhaps on the more evangelical side, I agree with you. Like when we think about 5G and taking advantage and capturing the value of 5G, we need some inspirational leadership that can really articulate the role that telecoms has and the value that we're bringing. Because historically, that's not necessarily been yeah. our strength. Yeah. And it's, I think it's tougher than ever as a communications challenge as well with 5G. Really hard. And it's a more sophisticated cell. It is, but it's also a more exciting to- yeah. cell. Honestly, tele- telecoms actually hasn't been this exciting for a little while. Yeah. These big capex investments in fibre and 5G is unlocking a whole range of new potential and new services that you know, genuinely can transform people's lives. And... Um, but it takes vision and leadership to get there, and, and we're always, you know, looking for innovative ways to help our customers go on that journey. Of course, and and I guess you need people who can, you know, who can charge, lead the charge, into defining the role that uh, that our industry plays. So, I think that's a great answer to the tricky spot I put you in. I can see why you're you. the head of the UK and Ireland. <laughs> I occasionally try. In, yeah. in, what, what do you think about this? sort of maybe forced dichotomy I've come out with about evolutionary versus revolutionary sort of strategic direction for someone like Vodafone. Does that make, resonate with you at all? Yeah, I mean, I, there's not a lot of operators that have done the, you know, the revolutionary thing, though, is there? It's not like... Well, he's... I was thinking of BT, where, they, where, where BT could have got in someone from within BT, well, but BT's they went slightly the other direction. Yeah. Know, BT was all about, you know, have your shirt unbuttoned to the waist, Gavin Patterson flowing locks <laughs> running along, you know, the beach and David you know, spend a load of money on sports rights and getting to TV. And then all of a sudden they're, they're now with somebody who's a lot more kind of, I don't, I don't want to call him a bean counter because it sounds like, and he did actually come from WorldPay, didn't he, I think, before. So yeah. have a, but he's very much gone into infrastructure, 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 you know, like roll out fibre, that's the big thing. Let's now. stop blowing money let's on stop, football. Let's stop worrying about a lot, a lot of other stuff as much, you know, spin off the TV thing with um, that joint venture they've got with, who is it? Yeah, Discovery. Discovery. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think well. Vion, which has got other problems these days um, because of the Russia stuff, but they, they hired... Printed. When they had a sort of CEO change, didn't they hire? They hired Khan Terziolu, who's he was at Turkcell, and they very much had a reputation for being quite a, a, a sort of, you know, less of a traditional operator. Do you know the they, Turkish yeah. operators? They often come up in the awards. They, yeah, they, they try well, a lot they, of stuff they, out. They're, they're highly yeah, regarded they do. for doing yeah. for doing stuff that's that's more like trying to challenge the web players. And what, I mean, I've talked to him in the past, and he said it's you know to some extent it's easier in Turkey because the Western web, web players aren't as much of a force and local language considerations are much more important and culturally it's very different. But but they hired him and somebody else, I think, to be who also came from a, a web background to be co-CEOs at Vion, and it hasn't really kind of worked out for them. You Co-CEOs know, rarely work. That's just happened with Salesforce. Yeah, and they have these various um, services they're trying to do that are, you, you call them sort of over-the-top type services and... Not just not just be a kind of you know I hate the expression but dumb pipe. You know? And uh, um, next door in the Middle East, I've noticed a lot of like um, again at the awards, uh, STC was a big presence there. Yeah, in, in Saudi Arabia and in in another um, of those but, sort of Arabian Peninsula com- countries. But I'm, they I'm try not a sure getting somebody well. in who's like from you know if they if they say got Elon Musk or someone, not that he'd do it. Yeah, but let's say they got. Let's pick him like as that. a left field CEO. <laughs> you know, things are getting so great at Twitter. <laughs> uh, if they got someone <laughs> more like on that, that in a minute. Um, <laughs> 
I, I don't know if it would. I, I don't know. It's a really hard job now. That I think to to do what you know he was under a lot of pressure. It's a very difficult thing to to do what he was being expected yeah, to do. You know, I, he didn't necessarily do anything. I that think it's bad. going to be quite hard. For, I mean, the pay's good. Being yeah. CEO of a big, I'd do it for group, a year. It's there's a lot of pressure, and I, I don't think it's a very easy. I thing asked Jamie, to, by the way, Jamie, <laughs> formerly of Telecoms.com, whether he was uh, going for it and. <laughs> Brilliant. He said yeah. he thinks he's in with a shout. I mean, you know, John Leger, who is it pronounced Ledger or Leger? I don't never know how to Ledger. pronounce it. Ledger. I think it's Ledger. Ledger. I think Americans he, pronounce it Ledger. He's an interesting case because it's not like that he did. It's not like he was at T-Mobile taking them into TV investments or trying to do no. many innovative. He was just a great marketer and yeah. and came out with plans and got the. the I mean, that move for thing. Sprint was a brilliant move actually for the Spectrum. And people were skeptical about it at the time. You know, trying to move Mosey's two big networks, one of which was struggling. Is it going to work? But getting their hands on that Spectrum obviously has really helped them to kind of roll out 5G quite quickly. And they've got a you know good reputation. I mean, the the customer growth they've seen is just ridiculous. And but it's not like he's done anything. That radical. Yeah, he, he, he was a great marketer. Well, he was like a, he's sort of almost Donald Trumpy figure within telecoms. But you know the advantage of people like that, divisive though they can be, is that they get a lot of attention. They get a lot of headlines. Yeah. And they, they, but he was in an, it's an easy position to haircut, come to a challenger company like that where you've got he saw an opportunity than what the position that Vodafone. Well, so, in, so well, that gets back to Vodafone. I mean, I think in terms of. A lot of metrics, they're like the third operator now in the UK. But this is one of the problems, though, I think, in a lot of their markets is that then they're, they're sort of not even, they're not one or two anymore in their markets, yeah. you know. And and then you start to get in. There's a Barclays report that went around recently about return, was it ROCE and, you know, whether your ROCE is below your cost of capital. And what does that stand for, ROCE? Return on capital employed. Right. And you, you don't want that to be below your weighted average cost of capital, basically, because you, no, you're, not, you're not making not. a. So, and they it's were a saying. a thumb for me. <laughs> so I think in all. Every market in Europe, the average is below the weighted average cost of capital, except Germany. And Germany's the only three-player market. I mean, you've got one and one, I know, doing a rollout now, but they're not really operating. Um, you know, they're, they're competitive markets. Arguably, M&A needs to happen, but regulators have always blocked it because they've been more sort of pro-consumer. And it's a really hop. It's, it's a, I don't know who they get in, how they're going to sort of do things differently, really. I, do you think on that consolidation piece that we'll start to see that changing with the, I, over the coming years? I don't know because they keep talking about this, you know, and there's always this, you know, you listen to operators in earnings calls and they're always like, yeah, yeah, we see more, you know, more sort of positivity on the regulatory side and there's been a change from in the EU commission and they're much more positive about M&A and then it never really, it never really happens, you know, it's like, I think they're more, they seem more willing to allow some deals to go ahead. But then when they do, they often do something like, well, you have to sell a load of Spectrum to Iliad. and sort of pound of flesh <laughs> you know, type of model. Well, yeah. It doesn't really solve the problem then, does it? It's still a full-play market. You've just got someone super aggressive There was a in thing there this and... week that we put up where Ofcom's signalling that they, they, want to quali- they want to focus on quality rather than quantity in their regulation, which seemed like a warm signal for consolidation. And maybe is a sign that this Vodafone 3 thing I, is still I, the, thing, the problem at the moment, I think, is, and I don't know how regulators look at this because I've never worked for a regulator or anything, but, and I, I don't think they maybe consider things like this, but it's quite a, it's quite a difficult thing to do, isn't it, when we've got That's cost of living Phil trying to open a tin discreetly. <laughs> I mean, Next time, just pull the Band-Aid off me. I should have just done that. The, yeah. the, the reasons people worry about M&A is... The, the, from a consumer sort of layperson's perspective is job losses mm-hmm. and rising prices. And at a time like now, when, every, when there's a cost of living crisis and people are worried about affordability and we're apparently sort of in recession already, according to some people in the UK, that allowing that to go ahead would be 
a controversial, maybe unpopular mm. move. I'm sure the, you know, I'm sure unions and consumer rights organisations would make a big deal of it. But I don't know if authorities really look at things on that. Well, that's why I flagged out the Ofcom but, thing. I, I just thought it was interesting that they bothered to make a public statement about quality of quantity at all. Mm. And and when you talk about quantity, I mean, all, surely all they can be referring to is the number of players. Yeah. But I think there's a, there's a difference as well here in terms of actually only the network and the MVNO piece as well and that commercial piece because the MVNO players can differentiate. Yeah. To your point earlier, we've seen customers around the world who've been able to get market share and differentiate using good marketing, good go, you know, articulating a clear strategy and executing against that and being able to demonstrate that they bring a different story to the market. Um, we've seen that in the UK with some of the MVNOs, of course. So I think they have a role to play as well in terms of that, that discussion. I wonder whether, you know, just sort of on a more philosophical note, the future of telecom and, and where, you know, you see on the fixed line side and, and on the ta- in the towers area, that it's, it's changing a lot. We're getting private equity coming in where, you know, the, the players in telecom now are quite different, some of them, than the players in the past. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, neutral host networks and experimentation with different models. I know yeah. there's been talk before about having, I think Malaysia's doing it, they're trying to do it, aren't they? Have this single 5G network that other people use and that almost does make other people MVNOs using that infrastructure whether it could you know whether other markets could kind of go down that route eventually I don't know because if it carries on and they're not allowed to merge and, they, and, they, and the share price carries on underperforming and they have these huge debts and then it's, it's not going to get any better for them is it kind of thing so no you know, where, something's, where, got where to give. It, something's got to give at some point, really. Um, yeah, and it's. I, I agree. I, I wouldn't want to have the job. I mean, I'd want the salary. I'd, I'd have the salary. <laughs> is, that your, is that your pitch? Is it? Uh, I'll, I'll take the salary until I'm revealed as the complete waste of space that I have, and then who I'll it leg could it. Be? Any thoughts who it could be? So obviously, our our boss. anytime a major <laughs> um, telecoms thing comes up, Stephen Carter, who's the CEO of Informer, which owns both Light Reading and, and Telecoms.com comes up um, for a number of reasons, other than the fact that he's uh, an established FTSE 100 CEO, full stop. He obviously headed, he headed at Ofcom. Did he, was he the first <laughs> Ofcom boss or something like that? Mm. Is that right? Yeah, don't you know. don't know. I don't know. Um, and bef- before that, uh, he was at Alcatel-Lucent. Um, and then after that, he worked in the government, which is where he became a lord. Um, working with Gordon Brown on, on sort of tech strategy, and, and it, it, he's got really good telecoms chops. In, in summary, um, I haven't, I have no knowledge <laughs> as to whether he's even interested, let alone in the running. But he's already on the tele, on the Vodafone board, which I think we've spoken about on the pod before. Yeah, and I think my analysis of him going on the on the board again with no inside knowledge. It's not like Stephen Carter's ringing me up, going, Scott, you might want to. I consider this. I don't think he'll go there. I don't think he will, but my, my reason, my, my, my assumption behind him being on board is he, he doesn't mind a bit of M&A. Informer's quite acquisitive. Yeah. Um, and, and, they were, and this is around the time of the three thing, and, and, and obviously, as you were saying, Nick Reed getting all this pressure from activist investors to do more M&A. So I thought, if you want someone in to advise you on top-level M&A, you could do a lot worse I, I than Stephen Carter. I can see him. Yeah. Yeah, I can see them wanting him. But I, I just, for him... Because it's such a difficult job at the mm. stage he's at. You know, Informer's doing quite well at the moment. I'm not just yeah, saying he's got, that. And he's got people work like us working for him. Well, why do you want to leave when so, you're us as employees? Exactly. <laughs> is, it, is it performance review time or something? Is <laughs> yeah, <that>? exactly. <laughs> um, and he's going to be in the public eye all the time, you know, and, and he's going to have Guardian writing about him, you know, you you get paid this much and your workers are only on this, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't you do know, it. I wouldn't bother it's, Steve. It's a nasty sort of role in a way. So does anyone else spring to mind then for you? 
I, I, I actually think it, I wouldn't be surprised to see it go to the CFO. And do you I mean, think that would be a, good or bad or neutral? I, I don't know that much about her. I mean, I've been on, I've never spoken to her directly. I've been on earnings calls where she's been on, obviously, and she seems very capable. Um, Presumably. You, you don't pr- presume you get to be CFO of a big group. But what about the symbolism kind of, of but, appointing another CFO as CEO? But I don't know, because I, I know you're saying that it's like having a bean counter, but just because they're CFOs doesn't necessarily doesn't mean... mean they haven't I mean, got other qualities, I mean, t- obviously. T- the other one is Timoteus Hertges at Deutsche Telekom, who was a CFO, and he, to me, doesn't come across as a typical bean counter. He's, he is actually quite a big personality kind of guy. And, Fair you enough. Know, and, I shouldn't and, overgeneralise on job um, function. You know, and, and has done things, I think, a little bit differently from some of the others. So I, it, she, just because someone comes from an accountancy background or a, a, a finance background, they don't have to be a, 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 someone who's not a visionary, you know. Yeah, but, he... But, uh, but I don't. I really don't know enough about. It, but it wouldn't surprise me because they've got a track record of doing it, and I think it'd be quite hard to. It's not going to be an easy role so to fill. I think they're getting a lot of pressure from investors, especially you know these sort of big activist investor. Was it Sevians? A part Sevian's of it. I don't think. Them, I mean, yeah. Elliot's another one that comes up. I don't know if Elliot's got any interest in um, Vodafone, but they're the kind of people like with Tim who who like to poke their nose in. Um, but you wonder whether so they can't what, get used to calling it Tim. Yeah, Tim and Elliot. Just seems like a children's book, doesn't it? Yeah, um, sounds a bit ET like. Elliot. Where you know, I wonder if they have a sort of dream team, a sort of wish list of the kind of CEOs. Would it be a rock star CEO, or would it be someone who's more just sort of steady and familiar with it all? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I. I I can see Whoever they appoint, like I'm going to say it's a shit appointment. I can, I can see what they'd like to get someone like Stephen Carter. Like you say, somebody who's got M&A experience and yeah. a lot of telecom experience. I think he'd be a great person for them to try and get. I'd just be surprised if he went there. But yeah. um, I think trying to get someone from a, a web background, I don't necessarily think would... I don't, I'm no. not sure it'd work, really. Um, no, but that would be a statement of strategic intent. If they got someone from Google or something. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be catastrophic. I think there have been so many failed attempts to diversify into... But, like, yeah, he's not... Just because he's been at Google, he's not going to be able to no, totally. turn them into a web player. But, but what I'm saying is the symbolism of it, and maybe incorrectly, <coughs> but certainly how I'll write it up, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. is it's like, well, this says that they're going in a googly direction because yeah. they've got someone from Google, that's all. Yeah. You know, we all... I mean, we largely write blindly speculative there's, there's, stuff. There's, there's a lot of, you know... The trouble at the moment, I think, we're trying to diversify and go into new business areas. Is it's not it's not a good. I mean, a lot of companies are actually doing the opposite, aren't they? They're kind of laying staff off and focusing on their core competencies. And there was that deal this week with um, Ericsson and and Eris selling Ericsson selling its IoT yeah. business. You know, and it's like, well, that's one of the things that they were touting as part of their diversification strategy a few years ago. And I looked at their, you know, how much they make from networks, Ericsson, networks being all mobile pretty much. Mm-hmm. And and before Boy Aircombe came in, only half their revenues came from networks. Now it's right. 70%. So he's turned that bit of it around, but they're very much a... One... You know, they're very much a one-trick pony. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, more more but, so but, than ever. And I know they're trying to do this... But then that's not necessarily thing, pejorative if, if that one trick Well, is it isn't, but if something goes wrong... You know, yeah, yeah, well, so you're, 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 area, yeah, you're overexposed. It's like having a 20% customer, isn't it? So, like, with Neophotonics had Huawei as a 40% customer, which is yeah. crazy. And then when they when they were stopped from sort of selling any more components to them, it was like their share price just collapsed. So, so ultimately, the, ulti- the, the um, thing is that, that that optimum bit in the in the equilibrium between um, specialisation and diversification. 
you know, you, you could think of it as like a sort of investment strategy. Like lots of people lost their shirt over the recent crypto yeah. fuckery that's been mm-hmm. going on. And anyone who went all in on crypto and nothing else, a bit of a twat, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but, but to bring, no, to bring but it back then to... having 5% of your portfolio as crypto is not such a bad move. No, but what, what the point with Vodafone is I don't think necessarily they want to get somebody in at the moment who's going to do the diversification thing. I think I think they want somebody in who's going to be able to steer M&A through right. and, and, and sort of improve some of the fundamentals. Yep. But not, not turn Vodafone into a, uh, I don't know. Yeah, and I think uh, that would be the sensible company. move. But wouldn't it be interesting and fun for us to write about yeah, yeah, if someone yeah. from left field well, yeah. came along? Uh, so, so let's see. I presumably um, the board is listening to this pod Taking right advice. now and going, okay, well, yeah, we hadn't thought of that. It's got any? Probably need someone who's googly. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Strange eyes or plays well with a bat. To one of the oh, two. Oh, there we yeah. go. Yeah. yeah, cricket, cricket analogy there. Yeah. Um, all right, one last thing because we're definitely running out of time now. Um, for me, you know, I quite often on this pod will go off on something that isn't very telecomsy, <clears> but it's something that interests me almost as much as telecoms. Uh, and, and I suppose broadly, I would call it di- <laughs> digital civil liberties is, is the broad context. Recently, it's been mainly um, around things like the online safety bill, um, which is a bit of legislation going through the UK government where they the government basically wants to impose more restrictions on what people can say online in the name of safety, as the name implies. And parts of it are completely laudable, for example, protecting kids from predators and that kind of shit. No one's going to argue with that. But then when it starts getting into censoring adults, what any of us in this room um, could put on the internet, especially if it's not illegal, if we just put up something that's a bit edgy or or just in poor taste or just shit, um, you know, should should it should it be censored? And and furthermore, should it be the government's job to censor it? So that's one thing I've I've spoken about. And we've had a and we've had a development on the online safety bill, which I spoke about on the last pod that got lost. So I might quickly recap on that. And then a couple of other developments that that fit into. This. Sorry, everyone, this is probably going to be a bit of a monologue, um, but I, I will I will let you say anything. Sometimes I get rid of these mon- get to the end of these monologues. I go, Ian, what do you reckon? He goes, No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just I just, I just want to go home now. <laughs> Um, uh, so a couple of other things for the more UK legislation but there's another little bill that's not getting so many headlines but it's to do with um, financial service providers and this is brought to my attention because I'm a member of something called the Free Speech Union which is run by a chap called Toby Young who's a journalist but also founded this union and he founded it um, basically out of concern for people getting cancelled for stating their views their legal views when we talk about cancel, we're talking about people getting sacked from their jobs or getting publicly pilloried or, or generally um, witch-hunted online, typically. And, you know, let's say you say something... I'm like J.K. Get... Rowling. Yeah, J.K. Rowling's a classic example. She, yeah. she sort of weighed in on the matter of um, trans rights versus female rights and and, and has elicited a strong reaction. It's very complicated. And I'm not... Believe me, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Other than to acknowledge that it exists... And that it's not clear cut, and, and I don't think it's right that J.K. Rowling or anyone else should should be unilaterally punished for adopting one of a small number of positions you can on an issue yeah. like that. Anyway, and and he got the reason. That, so I so I so I um, part of the Free Speech Union, so I get their newsletter. And something came through. There's a bit of legislation that's being discussed. I think it's on its third reading this week to do with. Um, financial service providers and one MP's put through an amendment saying financial service providers should be legally prevented from kicking people off their platforms if they just happen to express their their sincerely held I mean how how you qualify anything as sincerely their their opinions 
which I agree with. Um, and but the reason it's it's really um, critical to digital civil rights is, you know, we may have mentioned this on the pod before. I've certainly been at a pub with Ian before, where he's tried to pay with some cash, and um, and they said and they pointed to a sign going, you know, cashless bar. And and you got a bit stroppy, understandably. Was like, oh, look, I've got fucking money. That was a real sigh, that was, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I've got, I've got. That wasn't I think, my finest I think, moment. I think <laughs> the wrong person to complain to, really. I think but. the I think the term legal tender might have come out of your mouth. Yeah. Um, oh, but yeah. you know, but it's a fair point. I've got a tenner here. <coughs> I want to buy a beer. Why can't I buy a beer with this here tenner? Is is a perfectly reasonable question, I think, to ask. Yeah. But increasingly, we can't. Increasingly, we have to use a credit card or tap with our phone or, or, or presumably in the future, they'll just scan our fucking retina or something. Um, and the only problem with that is there's a very small number of companies that control the infrastructure behind it, um, arguably even fewer than there are big kit vendors. Um, and if they can unilaterally just cut me off, let's say they hear something on this pod, let's say they hear this rant I'm doing now on this pod, and they go, oh, no, Scott, he's, he's the wrong sort. He's a wrong one. So no more financial services for you. And suddenly I can't do my shopping, I can't do anything. Well, it's gone, it's gone even further. I mean, I know we don't live in a country like China, but in China, yeah. they, 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 this, all this is linked to sort of social credit stuff, isn't it, now? So if you do something that is, um, is, is sort of bad form in a restaurant, they, but I don't they, think they're that, able to cut you off. But I don't think we're that far off. That's the interesting thing. So we get this dystopian stuff coming out of China, <coughs> social credit. And I don't know, you know, I've only, I've only been to China once in my life, so this is very anecdotal. I don't know to what extent this social credit stuff is... Embedded in their society, I suspect it, it ramped up because they're still being quite full on about COVID and lockdowns and all well, that sort of thing. Easing it a bit, aren't they now? Well, now, now people have started freaking out. Um, but but my point is, so we look at China and we think, yeah, well, they're a bit dystopian, they're a bit authoritarian, they're not like us. But I just don't think we're a million miles away. It just comes at it from a different direction. With there, it's more obviously from the Communist Party. With us, it happens more by proxy through these people like Visa. Uh, Mastercard, PayPal, whatever. Anyway, so, so that that's that's um, another thing. So, uh, and then there's one other thing I want to say about Musk and Twitter, but that's a slightly different one. But I just sort of put it out there again. You know, again, Phil, this might be something that you want to tiptoe around or not. It's up to you. But the broader concept, I'm not necessarily expecting you to, concept, to comment on any bit of specific public policy. Mm. But the broader concept of, of how I frame it of digital <laughs> civil liberties in the in the in the world we're at now, where things are increasingly digital, there's not analog, i.e., paying with cash, or whatever. Yeah, do you think I'm, think I'm a bit sort of over twitchy, or do you, do you think this, this is a concern um, in terms of th- there being too much control in the hand of a f- hands of a small number of um, s- digital service providers? I think. Um I guess you, I, you, the way you're talking, you kind of make, remind me of what the Black Mirror. Yeah, thing. totally. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. where my you're, that painting that the kind of downfall just, one where it's a Dallas Bryce Howard. That's exactly doing the right. Yeah, media one. She, yeah, yeah. It clicks the wrong thing, and suddenly she can't even get a car or something. Exactly. I, I, I hope, and I don't believe we're at that point. Um, I, I think look, I'll pivot a little bit if you don't mind. We should talk about. I've been, totally. I'm much more worried about uh, equity of access. 
You know, when I think about globally, access to just getting hold of the information in the first place, right. I think is a bit of bigger thing to worry about. I'm not, I'm not dismissing no, what no, you're saying because it is really important. But actually, there are plenty of people that don't even have good access to the internet. That can't even, don't even have the problems you're talking about. They have, they, you know, they the don't digital have digital divide. The, the proverbial digital divide, which is often used, but is still as critical as it ever was, totally. and particularly as we as we get into this cost of living crisis right now, this is going to be ever more important. And so, um, and you know, and we're doing we're doing a lot with the European Union around this. You know, there's big investment coming from the European Union to try and help provide more access, and we are, you know, we're we're at the heart of trying to help them with that, of course. So I, I think I would prioritise that first. Yeah. But that's not to say that the issues you raise aren't no, important. No, and, and I they don't clearly think, are. And I and I think where they overlap is in the term access. Mm. So you're talking about access at a fundamental level. Can people can people get in this position in the first place? And I'm talking about people who are in that position having that access denied to them. Yeah, yeah. So I think the access thing is, is where our two points sort of overlap. Um, you and know, I, I and I think the keyword there is equitable. I think this is really, I think, I think this is. I like this word a lot, which is not about equal access necessarily. It's about equitable access because sometimes people need help. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes areas and that's geography, diversity, they need a bit more assistance and support to make sure they have equitable access. And that's really, really critical. Um, yeah. And obviously, and, and again, you know, where it overlaps with what I'm saying, if we accept that the, the digital economy is increasingly just everything, yeah. that there's no alternative to the digital economy, then obviously having digital access is... If you don't have digital access, you can't participate in the economy full stop, can you? Yep. Um, whether, it's as, whether it's something as ambitious as starting up your own business or, or as simple as just paying for a pint at the pub. Yeah. Have you read The Handmaid's Tale? I haven't. I obviously know about it anecdotally. It's a series bit. as well, but... Yeah. It's a Margaret Atwood book from the 90s, but she sort of foresaw the... The thing that people always cite about that book is she predicted the, the use of kind of digital money, and, and they use it in the book to... Cause it, it, uh, uh, it's a feminist book, so the government takes over. They treat women like sort of, you know, they're, they're just to sort of for property, produce kids, and they and they every, everybody's using digital money, and they basically women suddenly wake up one morning and find they can't use anything. Yeah. It's all transferred to their, their partners, their husbands. So. Exactly, dystopian but, books, Black Mirror. But she wrote that in the mid eighties, I think. It's quite. It's very it's quite sort of, no, it's very far sighted of her. Yeah. Um, and I just think sometimes, you know, I. I I'm aware sometimes I go on about these things and sometimes people give me a sort of, oh, hello, we've got a live one here, look. And maybe I, maybe, I, maybe I think about it too much, but I think a lot of people don't think about it enough because I think it's there, it's creeping up. You know, the metaphor is the, I don't know if this is true, but the, 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 the frog in a pot of water, you know, that metaphor? Yeah. Where you can keep heating it up Slowly and the silly fucker yeah. doesn't realise yeah. he's dying. Well, this ties in with the cloud, really, as well, doesn't it, I think? Oh, right, yeah, cloud, which we know. certainly it, can't get into now. No, we can't. But, yeah, but the, you mean the, all the operators going full exactly on in the... the yeah. I think it's, well, not, no, no, I don't mean operators necessarily. I know that Just the, everyone. To, just the, 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 the sort of, you know, rush to... Uh, embrace the public cloud when there's only these three, really these three sort of big US companies and um, you know Scott and I talk about this a lot but I think that to me is more of a concern as an oligopoly than other ones because those companies are so yeah. big and powerful across numerous sectors you know and it's uh, uh, you, know, you can't go through your day really these days without doing something to do with Amazon you know or, or, yeah. or Google it's well, like certainly indirectly um, with Amazon the chances an, are, even if Amazon you're not buying something from them, you're Amazon on AWS. Free day, I think it must be impossible. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't think I've had an Amazon free day probably for about no. six years or something. No. So. 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, <laughs> it should be like the opposite. Oh, they, they push for Amazon Day on their website. We should do <laughs> Amazon Free Day. <laughs> and what would it look like? You know, we'd have be just to go and day. dig uh, a turnip out of the back garden or something. <laughs> a turnip. <laughs> a turnip. Sort of pick the most agricultural thing. I think. <laughs> Remember, I he doesn't eat gluten. I don't think I've eaten a turnip oh, course, for years. Yeah, yeah but I, I, haven't got to, I haven't fallen so far as to start on turnips. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's it, really. I, I just wanted to flag up. It's not a very telecomsy thing. Uh, and there are a few other things. I won't get into it now because we're, we're nearly out of time, but Elon Musk started um, releasing some internal communications from Twitter, which he bought, which reveal a degree of politicization within there. And the issue with that is not whether or not I'm pro or anti the political team that... that Twitter's mod content moderation seems to be biased in. But it's, again, the fact that stuff is a matter of public interest, which is that Twitter's one of the few digital public squares, along with <coughs> Facebook, YouTube, and one or two others. The fact that that can be surreptitiously co-opted in a certain direction, whether it's political or commercial or whatever, and most of the users don't realise. I just think a lot of stuff is going on under our noses that is manipulating us and influencing us and, and in, infringing on our civil liberties. I wonder if that whole market, that social media market, is sort of becoming a bit more fragmented now or is, is about to. You know, I mean, youngsters don't care about Facebook. They all use TikTok. TikTok and, yeah. and then t there'll be something after TikTok. And it's, it's almost... And then I think Twitter, personally, I think's Well, gone. it's all about the flow of information. The reason governments suddenly got so twitchy, in my view, about social media was 2016, when they had the dual electoral surprises of Brexit and Trump. Yeah. And they suddenly went, what the fuck's going on? We, they, didn't, they didn't expect either to happen. And then they started putting two and two together and making five and thinking, oh, it must be Putin or it must be some other nefarious thing. But I think they ended up concluding that that they're out of touch in the flow of information. A lot of people were making their conclusions about Brexit or Trump via social media, and and they realised that they have so much less influence over that than they do over conventional media, where there's just a handful of national titles in a given country. Yeah. Um, and I think they want to influence it, and, and I don't blame them for wanting to do it. I just I just feel compelled to highlight that that's what I think they're up to. Yeah. And, I mean, and we've got to decide whether we're happy about the it. National What's the answer to this conundrum, though? So, well, my answer to both the social media one and the financial services one is to, through legal means, prohibit companies from kicking people off for anything other than violations of national law. So PayPal, by all means, kick me off if I've, I don't know, if I've posted a recipe for a handmade bomb on the internet or something like that, or if I've... Or if I've, uh, the, the example I always use, surprised it hasn't happened yet, is send people around Ian's house to chuck a brick through his window or something like that. You know, those <coughs> yeah. things are already illegal. And Actually, by all means, punish me to week. the... You what? Someone did. <laughs> <laughs> Punish me to the full extent of the law, but they should actually be prohibited from kicking me off for anything that isn't illegal. That's my, for want of, you know, I haven't thought it through that well, but that's my answer to your question. I guess the challenge is... Which legal framework in which country, isn't it? Well, it's got to be company. unique that's, to each country. That's, problem, that's, 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 that's a compliance yeah. nightmare. Yeah. I, it's, I they're global companies, but, but loads of loads of national jurisdictions. Yep. And it's it's an odd... It's like national newspapers, like you were saying. They they operate within a particular market and they have very cosy relations between the top editors there and the you know the, yeah. the, the ruling party. You know, there's some, some of the ministers. And it's very, very different in this world of social media. Yeah, and there's media, a bartering for access and yeah. all that sort of thing. We, yeah. we all know how the 
that the PR slash journalism game is played, especially at that political journalist level. Yeah, I don't like them being. Well, that's the worry, isn't it? They're sort of um, above above government, you know, to some extent. And well, um, and the other worry for me is it's a, it's a way of governments. Like in the states, they've got things like the First Amendment, which yeah. which which protects individuals from having their freedom of speech encroached on by the government. So they can they can go round it. Yeah. Because they can use private companies as partners in their censorship. So they're not directly censoring, but they're going to the private company going, if you don't want to have some SEC aggro, then maybe play ball. Yeah. I'm not saying this necessarily happens, but I find it plausible. Again, but it could be a bit too simple so, so, from me. They're so big. And, I mean, the only you look at you know Standard Oil maybe back in whenever, I don't know when it was broken up. Turn of the century, is it? Something. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we're almost in a similar situation now, aren't we, with um, the big tech companies, I think, that it's an, an outsized amount of influence they have to have companies that are that big and yeah. and, and it's only oil companies that are really close to them, isn't it? I think Saudi Aramco, if you look at stock market values. Like market and, caps. And, that, yeah, and, that, yeah. and the only reason Saudi Aramco has come up, obviously, is because of the energy crisis at the moment. For a long time, they were... You know, it's just, it's, but it it's used to be of, like Shell, Texaco were com- right out of Companies that are that big and powerful, I think it's a bit... Wor- it, make, it makes me think of the film Aliens, you know, that when you have the company. Yes. The Om- company controls everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, quite... Uh, uh, yeah, what was, it, what was its proper name? But everybody just called like it that. the company. The company. Yeah, yeah. Wayland Industries. Wayland Industries, that's it. Yeah, yeah or, or uh, who's the ones who make Skynet? Oh, uh, yeah. Cyberdyne. Cyberdyne yeah. Systems, yeah, yeah. Um, we were from the geek we're, in the room there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm the, I'm the worst one. I'm always making Terminator references when things get a bit dystopian. Okay. Um, oh, OCP from Robocop as well. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen and, that for a few years. You know the, the, the killing robots in San Francisco? That's becoming a thing now. Is it? So it's like that scene in the end of Robocop when the robot starts killing everyone. What, that's actually happening in San Francisco? Yeah, they, they're, tr- they're trying to legalize... Yeah. Killer robots? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Right, um, that's, that's much more worrying than PayPal. Well, yeah, that, that, that puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? Well, actually, I'll, I'll wrap it up there because I think we've done about two hours, haven't we, Pierre? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just the final point I want to make about those those companies. A typical pushback you get um, when you talk about, um, you know, does, does Twitter have too much influence? Does PayPal have too much influence? Does people go, they're a private company, they can do what they want. Typically, these are sort of leftists who would otherwise nationalise the fuck out of everything. But suddenly, they're all into private companies. The problem with that is, and you know, go full circle to the, the theme of this podcast, which is telecoms. No, they can't do what they want. Firstly, there's law. And secondly, there's regulation. And we know this as people in the telecoms space. You cannot do what you want when you're a private company. You're very constrained by things, by governments that are nominally acting in the public interest. So that's just such a bullshit argument. They can't do what they want. And that's where governments... I'm, you know, to my, my cliche that Pierre takes a piss out of me, I'm a small government, laissez-faire, light-touch kind of guy. But you need regulation. And, and we know that most of all through telecoms. If we, if we let... <coughs> the reason telecoms need regulation, even if, we, even if we don't look back at the fact that most of them were created by nationalising what were pre... pre uh, sorry, privatising what were previously national monopolies, there's such a high bar to entry that there's natu- a natural oligopoly, at least. You can't, we couldn't just decide in this room, fuck it, let's start an MNO, because you need billions and billions of pounds to do it. So, of course, it needs to be regulated because the competition environment is constrained. And I think that applies to all these big tech people as well. So, no, they can't do what they want. And, yes, it's right for regulators to intervene to a certain extent. Sounds like a good fucking strident point to end it. I don't know. That's a good place to stop, I think. Um, Phil, thank you very much for coming. Yeah, absolutely it's great pleasure. to have you here. 
Um, hope you enjoyed it. I did mostly. Uh, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and and to all our listeners, I mean, it might be, we'll try and do one next week, um, but we got train strikes, so this might be the last of the year. If it is, have a good Christmas and all that, and see if you can cope without us till the new year. Um, but maybe we'll do one more. Let's see. All right. Oh, and thanks to Ian for coming in, even though he's not feeling very well. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you join us for the next one. Thank you.